Hello, everyone. It's episode 19 of Aaron and Patricia. My name is Patricia. And my name is Aaron. And coming up on the show, we have the aftermath of the 25th anniversary Hey Arnold show with Craig Bartlett, as well as a preview of the 25th anniversary Hey Arnold virtual reunion livestream in Old School Lame. In addition to that, it is the 25th anniversary of Arthur and the 35th anniversary of Double Dare. Metroid Dread has released today. Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl was released. Dana Terrace explains why the Owl House is ending sooner than expected. Former CEO of Disney, Bob Iger, warns Disney executives and current CEO Bob Chapik about a mistake that he did that he doesn't want repeated. The Ghost and Molly McGee's first five episodes are up on Disney+. HBO Max and Warner Media are accessing launch animated shorts for programming spotlighting underrepresented talent. Konami is said to revive three very popular video game franchises. Uh, some stuff was revealed at New York Comic Con 2021, the trailer for Disney's newest film Encanto, which is going to be releasing on November 24th, and Universal Studios Japan is bringing in some new uh, management and property into their theme parks. You're listening to Aaron and Patricia on the 8th of October of 2021. And if you are listening uh, before the beginning of the Hey Arnold uh, 25th anniversary live stream, welcome to Aaron and Patricia, where basically we do a podcast uh, hosted up on Anchor and uh, going out to all podcast networks, where we talk about stuff that we grew up with in the 90s and basically all the uh, properties that of pop culture that uh, we happen to like. So uh, if you've not been accustomed to Aaron and Patricia before, maybe consider a subscribe. That's up on Spotify and various other places to go. Uh, you can visit, uh, is it, um, I'm trying to think, babe, is it? It's uh, anchor.fm forward slash Aaron and Patricia. I believe I it, think is. it is. It is, yeah. Okay. And also, uh, if you want to visit us on Twitter, which is Aaron and Patricia as well, so definitely check us out there. So, um, basically, um, yeah, I guess we're looking forward to uh, what Craig and crew have to say pretty much in this upcoming Hey Arnold live stream. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I guess we should start with that, maybe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. You brought it up, and now you're going to start it off with it. What a concept. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so if you have those of you who are not listening in part one, uh, we did a Q&A session with Craig Barlett, and we answered him a bunch of questions. If you've not managed to listen to that already, maybe listen to part one before you begin doing the live stream so you can get caught up uh, with uh, everything that's going on in that regard. So, uh, we covered Hey Arnold, Hey Arnold, the Jungle Movie, uh, Hey Arnold Season 6. We also uh, covered a few of his thoughts as well, and... Uh, in this upcoming live stream, we're going to cover two other sections that we didn't get into. So we're going to do some uh, what ifs in regards to Hey Arnold season six, and also we're going to do some fan fiction filler too. So uh, all that is uh, pretty exciting to go through. So um, anything in particular you're looking forward to in the live stream? Oh yes, uh, I am definitely looking forward to having uh, the cast and crew reuniting with each other because I'm sure that with Everything that's been going on in this pandemic and, you know, them have probably not even seen each other in a while. And also the fact that we'll be able to have the opportunity for our listeners to tune in, ask some questions, uh, see everybody interact with each other and just the overall fun experience. Uh, we, we did a very similar thing for those who are new here on Aaron and Patricia. Uh, I did almost a year ago. Uh, moderated the As Told by Ginger 20th anniversary virtual reunion live stream where we did the same thing for the cast and crew of As Told by Ginger. And uh, we had a great time doing that, and I'm hoping that it'll be the same thing here for the Hey Arnold virtual reunion live stream. Yeah. So, um, anyway, we're slowly going towards that. But before we do that, I mean, we have a few other anniversaries, I think, uh, that we need to highlight as well. And uh, that is going to be the uh, 25th anniversary of Arthur. So, shall we start with that? 
Yes. Yeah. So uh, for those who don't know, Arthur is based off of a 1970s book series written by Mark Brown. And it became an animated series around 1996. It aired the same day as Hey Arnold, enough. And um, yeah, it's basically the story about a kid named Arthur Reed and his friends as they live in Elwood City. And he goes through everyday issues. Uh, he has a really tough teacher named Mr. Ratburn. He uh, has, um, you know, like problems with the bully Binky or um, trying to, uh, you know, put up with his younger sister, DW. And yeah, the show has been going on, get this, for 25 years. And they just announced that next year is when it's going to end. That's unbelievable to think about, you know, because, you know, the books... I don't remember the last time that Mark Brown even wrote a new book. I mean, I think that there's more, <laughs> there's clearly more episodes than there are of books, uh, which I know in the first, I think I want to say like two or three seasons, they definitely adapted from the books, but now they just went all over the place. And it's, it's actually funny to see that, um, you know, they were able to push the boundaries of what a slice of life cartoon was around the nineties. They were able to cover things such as, um, you know, uh, people who were going through cancer. There was a lot of allegories to nine 11. There was a person who was going through Asperger syndrome. There was a person who was going through dyslexia. Uh, there was a person who was going through uh, Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, there were, I think we, I think we can safely say like, if, if you've seen something, happened in life there's probably an episode of arthur about it <laughs> yeah you. pretty much yeah so um i mean in regards to arthur i mean I c i'm not gonna say that i watched the show religiously but i will say that uh, i do know people who did have the books and uh, i definitely do people who know who watch the television show and so i mean there's obviously been those big episodes which uh, everybody you know really definitely talks about i mean like uh, the one that basically parodied 9-11 well not parodied 9-11 basically did mention like how people were feeling on the day of 9-11 when we had that episode the episode yeah. yes the episode is called april 9th april 9th and yeah. it's the Yes. So the episode is about that um, the Elwood City School has a fire and they're going through a real fire drill. And it's talking to the perspective of three different people from Arthur, Buster and Sue Ellen. So Arthur saw the, ex the entire experience and he was really concerned about there being another fire and more specifically he was concerned about his dad because you know his dad was there and he was like doing some catering and he was afraid that he lost his dad in the fire and so every time that he would go out and do some catering or he would go out and do a meeting or something or go out and get something uh, on the store he would like tell him no dad don't leave and so there was a paranoia there. The second perspective is from Buster, where he wasn't there at the school. And this is from the perspective of somebody who didn't experience the fire. And so he's jealous that he didn't get to experience it firsthand. And, you know, he's seen everybody being scared and he's kind of jealous that he didn't go through the same experience or he cannot sympathize with anybody because he wasn't there. And then the third one is Sue Ellen. So Sue Ellen has written a journal of all of her experiences. We've seen it throughout the series. And the one time that she decided to bring her journal with her because she was going to present it to show and tell, she leaves the journal because, you know, they thought it was going to be just a typical fire drill. But because it was a real fire and the fire spread through parts of the classroom, including her own, uh, they, the, the journal is gone. And so then she starts writing on a new journal and having to, like, pr basically restart everything all over again. So 
Yeah, that is a very, very popular episode of uh, of Arthur. It's the highest rated episode, basically, of, yeah. the, of, of the show. So, um, I mean, there's also, like, various other ones that are out there as well. I mean, I mean but this is the thing, like, uh, the one thing that I think is a bit of a complaint, I think, for the show is that, I mean, it didn't really change all that much up in in the show. I mean, the, the same formula pretty much existed pretty much throughout the throughout the show. If I'm unless I'm someone's going to basically correct me on that, but uh, I mean, I mean you're, I can, you're I not you're not wrong. Yeah, so um, I think that's one complaint about that because at least with other shows, I mean, like uh, you say, say whatever you will about uh, whatever they did, but I mean, like obviously the Rugrats at least introduced Dill. I mean, for better or worse, however you want to explain it. But at least, uh, and also the Fairly Odd Parents, you know, they introduced other characters and basically changed things uh, around a little bit. And uh, you definitely say, like, more in modern shows, at least they're not afraid to say, oh, hey, well, they're in this situation at one point, but now they're in this situation. I think, you know... Obviously I mean, was, that's yeah. not to say that Arthur didn't do the same thing. I mean, they did introduce Arthur to some new neighbors later on in the series, and they also introduced some minor characters for DW. And also, um, as we mentioned, uh, I think about a, almost two years ago, uh, I think it was either on the Aaron Metta Show or Aaron and Patricia, but if you remember, in the 24th season premiere, that was when Mr. Rapper got married, and then we found out that he's gay. And that was the episode that Alabama banned from ever airing on uh, public television. Yeah, but then th so there, was also, there was also, like, mind you, like, in regards to, like, Arthur and, like, the family structure, I mean, nothing massively changed in that regard, unless, I, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah. No, not really. I mean, they didn't have like a new baby or anything like that. So, yeah, no, yeah no, that's no true. clear patch of dirt by funny, basically. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, obviously we've gone through like some of like the the better moments I think of the Arthur show, but I mean, obviously there was the uh, the most terrible moments. You know, Arthur's big hit, shall we? Oh, was it Arthur's massive hit? Was it? Um, no, no, Arthur's big hit is correct. Yeah, Arthur's big hit. So there was the episode where you know Arthur punched DW. <laughs> basically yes. yeah <laughs> which uh, has been parodied and also been made fun of on youtube mercilessly yes much, and yeah. they even have a figurine of it um of arthur uh holding his fists so it has become part of our meme culture no that's not official is it i think it's on youtube's i think it's that you know that um that figurines um company that does like um figurines of like um of youtubers oh i think they, they did uh, one. Oh, okay then is that kind of like like what well, the mystery shack do with like all the the uh the disney um, kind of pop something like yeah something like that okay. i think they did make one of, of arthur with that particular punch <laughs> oh my god yes yeah, that, that, so that's uh you know that lives on in infamy pretty much yes it, yes it does I, I saw austin hargrave aka peanut butter gamer do an unboxing video of facing that figurine and put, he put it on his desk while he was talking about some arthur computer games oh my goodness so uh yeah so in regards to you know arthur i mean it's had its big moments and it's had its terrible moments as well i'm pretty sure we've done an episode of this already where we talk for sure arthur. we yeah i'm sure we have it's been a long time since we did to be quite honest and arthur's been going through you know some massive changes i mean around the 15th season that was when it switched over from traditional animation over to flash animation and a lot of the crucial writers uh but by the way i don't know if you know this but 
a lot of the people who wrote on Doug, such as Ken Scarborough and Matt Steinglass and Joe Fallon, wrote episodes of Arthur when it first started. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't surprise me because, I mean, like, as we were going through, I mean, Arthur was obviously another, you know, uh, you know, out of the primordial lose of, you know, uh, the, um, uh, the the slice of life cartoon, pretty much, even though it was like it was, it was animals and not human beings. So, like, but the, you know, the, the concept was the same. So I yeah, mean, pretty like, much. Yeah, so I mean, it's uh, it wouldn't surprise me that some of the same writers will probably end up being you know writing the you know writing for the same shows. So that that, that I guess that's true. Yeah. I guess that's true. But um, for a while, Arthur was like the only slice of life cartoon that was airing because you know around the late two thousands when people were into anime and action shows and superhero programs, and then we had that bit of a funk around the late 2000s and early 2010s when, you know, the writer's strike happened and when, you know, other than Phineas and Ferb and a handful of other cartoons, there wasn't really on, uh, there wasn't really much on. So Arthur was still kind of like holding the boat for at least a decade until shows such as Clarence and um, Harvey Beaks and The Loud House and Craig of the Creek came along. Yeah, it was just, well, Arthur was, you know, it was, I think in regards to like his later incarnations, I mean, I don't think it was as warmly received, I think, as like the uh, the earlier shows. I think you could definitely tell when we got to like, see, probably like to season 13, season 14, like uh, you could definitely tell like the magic was starting to kind of wear off, I think, at that point. I, think, I mean, uh, it made like, a lot yeah. of sense considering that a lot of, you know, a lot of the crucial writers who worked on that show kind of left at that point. And also, you know, they probably ran out of material from the book. So it's like, what more can you talk about? Yeah. I mean, it was kind of more like responding. I mean, here's the thing about this. Like, you know, um, maybe they probably should have... Uh, it, it would have been a risk because obviously it's a, it's a different age demographic. But, you know, Sesame Street, uh, for better or for worse, I mean, like, it always kind of like responded to like, you know, the, the modern trends of the day. I mean, like, and uh, so does, and so did, and so did Arthur, because I mean, I don't know if you remember from last year, but on their PBS Kids website, there was like a lot of videos about like the Arthur characters talking about the importance of wearing masks and washing your hands and um, you know all that kind of stuff. So they oh, do that, have that, that's um, everybody. I mean, like, uh, so I mean, like, even Sesame Street was doing that. So yeah, I know, but yeah. still, but you know, like, uh, I think um, with. With Arthur, I mean, like, one thing I think it did fail to do, I think, it's, uh, it's spin-off shows, as far as I'm aware, weren't all that successful, unless I'm mistaken. No, it's true. I mean, they've only had only a handful of spin-off shows, such as Postcards from Buster. So, this happened around, I think, maybe around its ninth or tenth season. So, um, there was a time in the show in which Buster, uh, who is Arthur's best friend, uh, he left uh, with his dad for a few months, and they would travel all over the world. And so there was a spin-off series called um, Postcards from Buster in which Buster would be, um, you know, traveling to different places and then he would be talking to people and see how their lives are. And there was actually one episode that was banned because it featured a lesbian couple and their family. Oh, and no so, way. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, like, you know, like unlike today, like, you know, where we have like losing Amity, like, you know, our top like ship right now. <laughs> you know, <it's> like... <laughs> I mean, this was around like, I think it was around like mid two thousand. So yeah, I mean, you you never see that. Um, you you almost never see that episode again. But um, yeah, it it only lasted for like four years, and then um, then it had like a brief revival, and then there was like um a few episodes that were canceled, and then there was episodes that were never even aired. I don't know why for whatever reason, but yeah. Anyway, so they did try to do a spinoff series on Arthur, but it just didn't last for very long, and um, also. The fact that, you know, Arthur was going through a little bit of, um, 
you know, of a, a, a turning point in which, like, you know, a lot of people were saying, you know, it's not as good as it used to be because of various reasons. And then every once in a while, there'll be that one episode that really just gravitated to a lot of people. Like mentioned before, you have uh, the discussion of um, when they had to redo the episode of Mrs. McGrady ca catching cancer, uh, you know, when she received it. And if you remember from the old series, they had Lance Armstrong as a guest. But when the whole... Um, controversies with Lance Armstrong happen, then they put in a wrestler, a wrestler character that they created specifically for the show, and then they switched it around there. Then there was the aforementioned um, episode where Mr. Rapper got married, and then there's the latest episode that aired as of uh, the recording of this podcast. Um, there's the episode where they finally get to go to the fourth grade. Hmm, yeah, uh, finally, after what, how many years? 25. 25. 25 years, and they finally got to the fourth grade. Yeah. I know it's like what? <laughs> yeah, it's like you think. So it's amazing how time just like you know just uh, just just stands still in so many shows. Yeah. Like, I know yeah. it's ridiculous. And then anyway, in other times but... it goes too quickly. As, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I I I don't know what to tell you. But anyway, so yeah, Arthur finally goes into the fourth grade, and DW finally goes over to kindergarten. So. Uh, you have um, Arthur meeting up with uh, another kid and Buster meeting up with another kid because they're in separate classes now. And DW having to deal with going from preschool to kindergarten and she fits along just fine, but her best friend Emily is not doing very well. And then there's an also an uh, there's also a segment where Muffy has to learn about responsibility. So, yeah, I mean, I got a lot of people really interested and there was also that one time in which they actually decided... For the kids to vote on the pbs.org website on um, what would be the um, the mascot for the school it was either between the puffins or the grebes and it was overwhelmingly the grebes because if you remember from the 100th episode that the grebes were around in elwood city before they became extinct and it made a lot of sense for it to be the grebes as opposed to the puffins that buster wanted so yeah even though that arthur has been going on for a very very long time um, uh, people were really sad when they heard that it was going to be ending next year after like over 25 years. So that's, I mean, you know what? It, it, kudos for lasting as long as it did, you know? Yeah. And uh, to be honest with you, though, like, uh, I mean, I think all the good things have to come to an end eventually. Like, uh, sure. like I mean, to be honest, like, the fact that Arthur has lasted so long that it has now, like, I mean, th there's always going to be a reason why Sesame Street needs to be around. I mean, like, uh, there's always going to be any, there's always going to be those staples. I mean, the fact that The Simpsons still draws in millions of views. I mean, like, uh, that's the reason why it keeps that it keeps that going. And also, the merchandise sales just won't die. So, I mean, th th there's going to be those staples in television. It's uh, you know, Arthur. You know, I just think uh, I'm just really surprised. One thing we think we should be pretty uh, happy with, I guess, is that it's lasted as long as it has. I mean, like not only that, but it was able to keep the slice of life genre and cartoons alive. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it could have been easily one of those shows that just goes on for like five seasons and then just goes away, pretty much. You know, like you know, you got your hundred, you're done. Like you know, congrats. You know, goodbye to something else now. You know, sure. So, yeah, but uh, yeah, so that's 25 years of Arthur, and uh, so coming to an end next year. So yeah. So and any, I, I know that's I... what the last bunch of episodes are going to be. Yeah. Or... Mm. No, 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 no information about it yet. Okay. So, uh, I guess moving on. So, I mean, I'll have to let you take the floor on this, babe, because uh, this is kind of your thing. But uh, 35 years of Double Dare. Okay. So, for those who don't know, Double Dare was, a ga was, pro was the very first game show that featured on Nickelodeon. It premiered on October 
6th or no, it's October 7th, 1986. So it features Mark Summers. And the whole point of the game is that they would take two kids and they would answer various questions. And if they don't know the answer, then they can dare the other team for double the money. But if they don't know the answer, then they can double dare them back for uh, four times the amount. But if they don't know the, the answer to that, then they can always just take the physical challenge. And the physical challenge consists of like some of the most wacky, over the top games that you can imagine. And it, it was always filled to the brim with slime or with goo or with anything of the sort. I mean, you have one where, you know, the kids are on top of pancakes and then they have to, like, throw the blueberries and then when they catch the right amount of blueberries and they just spill the syrup all over them or, you know, rolling them into a taco and then just dumping all of the ingredients on them and then the last thing is the sour cream or um, the obviously the biggest um, event that a lot of people look forward to is that the winning team gets to do the obstacle course and that is eight rounds of various obstacles that they have to go through, whether it be the giant nose, whether it be the slide, whether it be, um, you know, the, uh, well, let's see, there's also the pit ball. And you know, there were just so many things of that game show that a lot of people were really drawn into. And, you know, if they won, then they get to win like various prizes and they get to go on a trip. And over the years, uh, Double Dare went over from regular Double Dare. Then there was um, Super Sloppy Double Dare. And then there was Family Double Dare. And it lasted for quite a while. It lasted for almost a decade. Then it came back around the year 2000. And then it came back uh, around... I, I, you know, a couple of years on, like, Nickelodeon uh, hotel attractions and stuff like that. And then finally, they did the revival around, I believe it was 2016 or 2017. And they had uh, Mark Summers as the co-host on that one. And, uh, yeah, that one was actually pretty good. And, uh, I, I, you know, shout out to Liza Koshi, who did a fen phenomenal job as being the host of, of the uh, new Double Dare. And, you know, bringing in some new touches that was able to update it while still keeping the original integrity of the show. My problem with Double Dare 2000 was that I felt it was a little too safe. But uh, the changes that they did for Double Dare, uh, the new revived version, was really good. Uh, so... Yeah, out of all the game shows that came out, a lot of people say that this was hands down the best one. Probably the best one in the 80s, considering that they, well, I mean, you have, like, Think Fast and Make the Grade, and they weren't very good. And then, you know, you have, it's, it's a bit of a contender for the 90s ones. I mean, a lot of people say, you know, which one was, like, the best game show around that time. I mean, even though that Double Dare was still going on, you still had, like, Get the Picture, you had Nick Arcade, you had Wild and Crazy Kids, you had Nickelodeon Guts, Legends of the Hidden Temple... Um, figure it out, and you also had Euron. So, um, out of all of it, definitely Double Dare is a major contender for number one. Mark Summers, hands down, is the best game show host that Nickelodeon has ever had. And, you know, his interactions with both Harvey and Robin were phenomenal, and... And the music by Ed Kavalov was great. And yeah, just overall a fantastic game show. If you are interested in watching it, all of the episodes are available on Paramount+. Plus. So please go check it out. Cool. All right, moving on. Uh, Metroid Dread has been uh, released today. And uh, well, he's as of this podcast. And uh, it's currently number one best-selling Switch game and on Amazon. And it's currently receiving critical praise from gamers. So uh, yeah, we called this one right down the middle, didn't we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know we did, but you know what? I am super glad that it is becoming really successful. So, uh, yeah, Metroid Dread is supposed to be the cap off of the long storyline that has been going on for 35 years involving with Samus and the Metroid. So, 
if you want to know where to start off, then this will be a good one to kind of get yourself um, you know, familiarize with the character and with bits of the story and just know about how the gameplay is. But if you want to go through this chronologically, if you're interested in picking up the games, uh, you go through the, the you go through the original Metroid, or if you want to go through Metroid Zero Mission, which is on the Game Boy Advance, I would prefer that one. Then there is um, Metroid 2 Return of Samus on the Game Boy, or there's the remake that came out on the 3DS, which I would recommend that one too. Or, or if you want to, you know, be like those people, you could also pick up another Metroid 2 remake by Dr. M64. You know, that's also another option if you're interested. Uh, then there's Super Metroid uh, that is on the Super Nintendo that came out. And uh, you could be able to purchase it pretty much anywhere. It's on the, you know, the SNES Classic. Um, it's currently on uh, Switch Online. So if you're interested, go, go pick it up. Or a physical copy if you have like $500,000. And then there's also uh, Metroid Fusion, which is on the GBA. And the only way that you can be able to pick one, pick that one up, is if you get the uh, Wii U, and you can be able to download it, or if you have a physical cartridge, which I think should, should set you around for maybe thirty bucks. Cool. So I mean, uh, obviously, I'm not a chance to kind of play Metroid right as of yet. So I think uh, it's neither be have I. Yeah. So we, uh, I mean, eventually, I think uh, me and Patricia may one day get to uh, to get to grips with it, and uh, then we'll tell you what we think of it. But uh, in the yeah. meantime, it's it's doing successfully. So uh, if you're one of the good oh, yeah, people it, who it, played it, 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 then definitely it, let it, us know about it. You know. Yes, so. please let us know about it. I mean, uh, critiques of it have been through the roof. A lot of gaming publications and various websites have been rating it at least maybe from around the 9s or even the 10s. I think there's like a few um, 7.5s or 8s around, but for the most part, it is really praised by a lot of fans saying that this is a great entry point over for newcomers and especially going to be the case because... I mean, we've mentioned this multiple times before, but the Metroid series has never been a high seller for Nintendo. It's always been third place behind uh, Mario and Zelda. So the fact that now we have a Metroid series that's finally in the spotlight on a more mainstream console like the Nintendo Switch, I think that this will be a great opportunity for you guys to pick it up. And um, also, uh, Bloomberg is even uh, predicting that this is going to be a breakout series, and it's definitely going to be probably the best-selling game out of the entire franchise, which, as we probably mentioned this before, currently, as of the recording of this podcast, Metroid Prime is the best-selling game in the franchise, and it's sold about 2 million copies. Yeah. So, that's, so basically, that's the target. So. Yeah, that's the target. If it can sell over two million copies, then I think we're golden. Yeah, if, if, I mean, if, if, if you, you, you and I were saying before, like uh, this, this game was going to be successful. I mean, I think uh, there was. I mean, it, it had the hype train around it pretty much. Uh, you know, I have very... I have never seen Nintendo advertise Metroid the way it's been doing for Metroid Dread. Yeah. Even, releasing... then, like, even in regards to the to what Nintendo has been advertising, like you know, the fans have even like you know been pushing this too. I mean, like, uh, this is something that they've been asking for, you know, for, for a good long while now. Though, the fact that they have, like, you know, a 2D, you know, not necessarily like a traditional, well, it is a traditional 2D uh, Metroid, you know, uh, you know, game that uh, they've got here. And so they're hoping that this is probably going to be like the revival of that, uh, of, of that type of franchise. And now we're going to get more out of it. And uh, Nintendo yeah. even, even stated this too. So. Yes, in, uh, they have been. And also the fact that if they do reach a certain amount of copies sold, then they will probably even do more games in this series. I mean, look what happened to Fire Emblem, in which that series only tr uh, targeted toward a niche audience when it reached over to North America. It was huge in Japan, 
but not very huge in America. But when Fire Emblem Awakening came out, and this was going to be their last game in the franchise, when that game sold, it sold like wildfire. And then we have all of those Fire Emblem games that came out on the 3DS and the Switch, and then, you know, we have all these Fire Emblem characters on Super Smash Brothers. So, yeah, I mean, look what happened there. And so a lot of people are predicting that maybe the same thing will happen with uh, the Metroid franchise. And... Even Yoshio Sakamoto said that they already have an idea on what the next chapter of Samus is going to be, and not to mention that Retro Studios is currently working on Metroid Prime 4. So, yeah, there's a lot coming up. There's a lot of excitement going around Metroid. I think we can definitely yes. say that, which uh, we wouldn't even think was going to be a thing because, you know, as you said before, like, it's uh, not one of the greatest franchises, uh, you know, in regards to Japan and in regards to Nintendo. Like, you know, no. they've, uh, they've always relied on the plumber. You know, that's who, that's who they call to fix the sink. So like yeah, uh, they, they they either relied on the plumber or they relied on the boy elf with the sword or the cute little pocket monster. Yeah, well, uh, he they can't. didn't they didn't rely they didn't rely on the mechanical bounty hunter in space. Yeah. So okay, so uh, let us know what you think of Metroid Dread because uh, we want to know ourselves because unfortunately we're adults and uh, we don't get much time on our hands. So uh, yeah, but uh, we'll, very true. We'll get there eventually. So, eventually yeah okay um tell you what actually i'm just looking through the list and uh, maybe we should probably address this before we go into a nickelodeon all-stars brawl but uh, i mean did you see the nintendo direct that uh, announced the uh, the next smash brothers character well the last ever smash brothers character actually yes so. i did and uh, i guess we gotta announce it here so uh the last smash brothers character was revealed a few days ago and uh lo and behold it is sora from the kingdom hearts series yeah i'm not too surprised by this because i mean there was rumors going around that it was going to be a kingdom hearts character before the announcement was made so that kind of made me think, yeah. But mind you, I mean, um, yeah, me, me, me and Patricia are massive fans of the Kingdom Hearts series. We'll be honest with you about that. And uh, but uh, I mean, so I mean, the one thing I thought that was very intriguing is that they actually did somewhat, you know, kind of like promote the fact that oh, hey, here's this Kingdom Hearts series that has Disney characters in it. You know, and like, mm -hmm. so, I don't know, like, maybe this might be a slight nod of, like, maybe what direction they might, this, you know, Nintendo might want to go in, in regards to, like, you know, a future game series, maybe? Like, uh, possibly, I mean, possibly, I mean, you know, I'm sure that'll probably be, like, a different series of games. Now that Kingdom Hearts 3, which was supposed to be, like, the last of the Xehanort's uh, saga, they're probably going to go over to something else. So, uh, I think that now that Kingdom Hearts has just been announced that it's going to have the trilogy ported on the Switch, then there might be a possibility that we will see another Kingdom Hearts game. But knowing... Uh, you know, uh, Tetsuya Nomura, you're working on this and on the Final Fantasy VII remake. It's probably going to be for another like 20 years or we'll something. Well, tell you what, I, I've got a more intriguing proposal for you, Patricia. But let's uh, before we get into that, let's uh, get into uh, Nickelodeon All Stars Brawl. So okay, then. yeah, so the game's released. Um, yeah, has very eerie um, feelings towards Smash Brothers. <laughs> I think we could definitely say. <laughs> and uh, yeah, even Smash Brothers uh, fans are starting to themselves starting to say, yeah, this is a lot like Smash Brothers. So. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's, of course it is. I mean, the roster, the stages, the fighting style, of course they're trying to Smash Brothers, but with Nickelodeon characters. I mean, you guys weren't complaining when Cartoon Network did this 10 years ago. Yeah. So, um, there is a, um, I believe some people who have actually been playing the game have actually decided to rank the, um, 
the the characters. So oh, uh, really? Yeah. So I'm going to have a look, and so um, the latest one that uh, seems to be I must think what is it? Should we go with Inverse or should we go with Kota- uh, Kotaku? Um, whichever. It's, it, uh, I don't care. Tell you what, actually, yeah, maybe thanks to. Uh, uh, sorry, we're having an interesting thing here. Right? So, which uh, ranking we actually might deal with first? Um, let's go with inverse, just for a bit of a change, and let's just see what they think in regards to uh, the ranking of uh, characters. Okay, so um, this is um, in order. So this is like uh, from twenty to one. So uh, shall okay. we go through the list and see what they think? All right. Okay. Then. Now, number twenty, and just to let you guys know, this isn't just Inverse's opinion on this particular character. This seems to be pretty much uh, around the uh, agreement right now with uh, people who have played this game, and you'll find number twenty hilarious. Do you want to know who number twenty is? Is it SpongeBob? No, it's Patrick oh. Star. Uh, I was close. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, the fact that he has, like, a terrible spin-off show, and now he's, like, the worst character in All-Stars Brawl. Oof. Oof. That's not good. Oh, good grief. So, um, apparently, is he the worst uh, character in social media? Apparently, uh, uh, pros and fans agree. Patrick is one of the undeniably terrible. Uh, while he has some solid Bowser-like moves, everyone's favorite stuff is it's incredibly slow and isn't suitable for competitive play. You do have your slow characters. You have Bowser, you have Ganondorf, you have King well, K. But at least Rule. you can fight with them, Patricia. Jeez, man. Wow. Apparently he is slow and isn't co- isn't suitable for competitive play. I mean, to be fair, I, I mean, I didn't think that Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl was going to be for competitive play anyway. I thought it was going to be, like, for the casual fans. Well, maybe, but just think about that for a second. I mean, like, you know, but the the whole idea of creating this type of game is to have your fighters competitive. Like, imagine having Sub-Zero if he could barely move. Oof. Like, you know, just, just, just like, the, the whole idea, just you know, the idea that you have a character that cannot compete, you know, with, like, the other characters, like, it wrecks the balance of the game. It does. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, f- throw out the window, like, this is supposed to be for, like, you know... You know I'm not expecting Nickelodeon All-Stars to appear in like, any esports tournaments anytime soon. But, you know, <laughs> like, the, 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 the idea that you have a beat-em-up game where you have an unplayable character is just ludicrous to me. Yeah, yeah. that's that's not good. Exactly. They, they need to patch that up badly. Right, okay. Uh, and maybe they might do after hearing all of this. Like, you know, like, uh, yeah, Patrick Star is like, supposed to be, like, you know, one of their top characters right now. Oh, jeez. Like, you know, like uh, yeah. Um, number 19 is Ren and Stimpy. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, the, what, the, what are they going to play? The moves aren't great and the counters are terrible. Well, that's, that's a shame, too, because um, if they would have copied the same moves as they did with Stimpy's invention for the Sega Genesis, I think it would have worked out. I mean, they have a boomerang, they have a croquet ability, they have a bowling ability, they can fly. Uh, I was surprised that it turned out as bad as it did. Yeah. Okay, number 18 is disappointing, given the subject material we're going to be moving on to soon, but uh, number 18 is Helga Pataki. Oh, no! She has a great projectile, but apparently she's dull and and is basically a basic fighter. Oh, no, that's the worst kind. That's sad. Yeah. Okay, now we move into the C tier. Um, so, according to Inverse, uh, by the way, this is Inverse's opinion. This is like not a, like a universal opinion or anything like that. But uh, yeah. So, uh, C tier is uh, number seventeen is Michelangelo. 
Really? I thought it would have been a little bit higher. You would have thought so, yeah. How could you muck up a TMNT character for a fighting game? Especially if it's Michelangelo. Yeah, like I mean, it. I can. I, I mean, I understand that maybe Michelangelo is not much of the fighting type because he's all about like, dude, here's a pizza, yo. He's a, but he's been in injustice. Exactly. I was just gonna say he has been in various fighting games other than just TMNT stuff. So wow, wow, that's a disappointment. I mean, did they not play Injustice too? Like, good grief. Uh, All right, then. Um, Have you you not uh, played Tournament Fighters for the Super Nintendo? (laughs) Okay. Number 16 might maybe uh, maybe relieve you or maybe infuriate you. So number 16 is Nigel Thornberry. I've been saying this many times. Nigel Thornberry should not be in a fighting game. He's not a fighting game. Think about this, babe. Better than Michelangelo, better than Helga Pataki, and better than Ren and Stimpy. I got nothing. Okay. Right. Number 15 is Invader Zim. Wow. Again, I would have expected better. Yeah, I would have expected better, too. Uh, number 14 is Danny Phantom. Again, expected better. Oh, so, so much for him getting old Betsy. Uh, okay. Oh, All right. Number 13 is Toph. What? On C tier? I would have expected her on S tier. Yeah. Dude. Good grief. Yeah. Uh, number 12 is Lincoln Loud. Okay, I, I, I didn't expect it, to be quite honest. I mean, Lincoln Loud, I mean, he doesn't do really a lot of fighting. I mean, no, I mean, I, I can expect him to be... That would be the correct placement, or maybe even a little lower. Good grief. Uh, I'm just reading a line here. For newcomers, he's a bit too hard for use. Really? What? Wow. Like, one of your most popular Nickelodeon characters, and he's too hard to use in the, in the beat-em-up game. Oof, That's not, not good. good. Yeah. Right, now we're moving on to the B tier, uh, going to inverse. Uh, number 11 is Powdered Toast Man. Okay, I expected this. You know, Powdered Toast Man, he does have abilities. I mean, he was able to fight off against various villains, but he's also a kind of like a, a, a parody of superheroes. So, you know, I guess that does sound just about right. Yeah, but better than Toph from... I am... I am so disappointed. Yeah, okay. Number 10 is Cora. Triple Legend of Cora. I, I would have expected her to be higher. No, well, yeah, she is. She's in the top 10 at least. That's true. That's true. I mean, I would expect her to be at least an 8 tier because she's the Avatar. Okay. Uh, number 9 is SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh my god. The fact that SpongeBob SquarePants was able to defeat Danny Phantom, Powder Toast Man, Toph, Michelangelo. What? Michelangelo! Oh, good, great. Yeah, apparently he fights a bit like Pikachu from Pokemon Unite, from what I understand. Oh. So, okay. okay. Um, number eight is Lucy Loud. Okay. Um, I can I can see her fighting in that kind of style. I mean, I would expect her to be a little bit lower and maybe in C tier. She's but... top of the B tier right now. Yeah. Hmm. So, okay. Yeah. Um, okay, now we've got the A tier. So, um, number seven is what you expect to see in the A tier, at least. Uh, number seven is Ang. Yes, I did expect him to see him in the A tier because he's the Avatar. Yeah. Number six is Oblina from Our Real Monsters. Again, I could see this because, uh, you know, Oblina, out of the three uh, main cast of Our Real Monsters, she is definitely the one who is the most serious with her scaring. So I can see that, but I would have probably expected her to be at least in maybe B tier. Yeah, this one makes sense. Uh, number five is Sandy from SpongeBob SquarePants. That makes a lot of sense, considering that she knows how to do karate. So, yes, that does make a lot of sense. Okay. Number four is Reptar. Again, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, he's Reptar, you know, the 
the the big dinosaur that's around Rugrats. Which, which, oh, I mean, someone's probably going to tell me, but which reptile is he? Is he like, uh, is he the one from like the ice skating show, or is he the one from like no, the no. toy store, or is he like, uh, is he like the the one from the TV show? He's the one from the the you know he's Reptar you know the one from the 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 movies. Oh right. Remember? Yeah. So Reptar, you know, they they have a whole bunch of movies based off of him. And yeah, but if you if you remember back in Rugrats, there was like different variations of him. So like uh, there was like the one where he was like on the you know doing like Reptar on ice, and then there was like the other version where he was. Uh, it's it's yeah. it's Reptar from the movies. Okay, that's fine. So he like growls and doesn't stuff like everything like that. So. Yeah, yeah. So okay. basically, a child version of Godzilla. Okay, okay. Now we get to the S tier, and so jeez, um, oh, <laughs> right? This this one just gets off on a really wrong note. Number three is April O'Neil. Oh my god. Okay, you have to understand here. This is not. 2003 April O'Neil, where she not only does science work, but she's also able to defend herself. This is now 2012 April O'Neil, in which she gets training from Master Splinter, and she's able to fight alongside with the Turtles, and she's also part alien, because of course. And she's not 2017 April, in which, again, she also fights alongside with the Turtles. No, this is 1980s April O'Neil. Yeah, banana suit. Yeah, banana suit April O'Neil. Yes, 1980s news reporter April O'Neil, the one who always gets captured by Shredder. Yeah. Uh, number two makes more sense. It's Leo Leonardo from uh, TMNT. Yes, that makes so much sense because, you know, he's the strongest out of the turtles. So it makes, a, you know, it, he deserves to be an S tier. Yeah. And number one is uh, gobsmacking. It's a cat dog. What? Yeah, Cat Dog apparently is the number one character to use in this game, according to Inverse. No way. Yeah. You wow. Know, I'm just going to quickly browse through the other ones and just check what they have on their tiers. So, yes, uh, please I'm sure, do so. I'm, I am genuinely curious. I'm pretty sure everyone's like had their own like different, you know, rankings on. Uh, I'm sure they have. On characters. Um, let's have a look. Um. You know what? A lot of them are videos. Like, uh, you know, why don't you just put the graphic up? And just like, you know, say, hey, these are the uh, these are the rankings for. Uh... I have I have no idea. Okay, let me roll ranking. Sorry, we're doing this like right in the middle of the show. Everybody, we're just uh, you know, I, I'm just generally because they're not like diff. There's different ones that we've uh, that we've seen. Uh, I think even Washington Post even done their own version one. So. Yeah, that's true. I guess uh, while you're looking into that, I just want to read off um, not only uh, the uh, the character list uh, that we had did so far. I, well, we did the character list, but I also want to read some of the stages that they have. So according to uh, this article from HITC, uh, the, some of the stages that were released according to the um, playthroughs on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Nickelodeon, because they're doing a, a tournament, uh, they have 20 stages. Uh, only five have been confirmed so far, and that is Jellyfish Fields from SpongeBob, Glove World from SpongeBob, the Flying Dutchman Ship from SpongeBob, I mean, yeah, uh, te the Technodrome from TMNT, and the Loud House from the Loud House. And uh, various stages have been leaked on Reddit. Uh, one of them is CatDog's House and the bus stop from Hey Arnold. As for anything else, we are still awaiting for more information to be released, but yes, uh, twitch.tv slash Nickelodeon, they are doing a tournament over there called the Nicktoon Throwdown Tournament. It started a few days ago on October 5th, and it's going to end tomorrow on October 9th. So 
If you're interested in checking it out, then please do so. Okay. This one here, I think, has more credibility um, because it's from Jinx Esports TV. So uh, they've, okay, actually, they've actually ranked them. So they, you know, they, they know their stuff here, I think. Okay. So, okay, so here's their ranking for this. So um, in the D tier is Patrick Starr from SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're getting some universal agreement here, I think, that uh, Patrick Starr is the worst character. Okay, in the C tier is, unfortunately, Toph from uh, 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 Avatar oh, Last no. Airbender. Oh, uh, that's so sad. Here's the thing about this. According to them, Reptar is in their C tier as well. Oh, okay. Well, they're, you know, in the other one here, they're in their A tier. So that's interesting, mm. and also well, what was, what's 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 their explanation for this? Um, their explanation for this is that uh, let's have a look in the uh, in the C tier. Uh, maybe slow data, lack of easy to execute setups, or terrible hitboxes. These are three noticeably worse of the cast of the ball, but one. So maybe they might fix okay. these in patches. Maybe they so. probably yeah. Okay, um, in the B tier, uh, this includes Danny Phantom. Um, Ren Where, oh, okay, that that sounds a lot better, by the way. Okay, Danny Phantom, Ren and Stimpy, Lincoln Loud, uh, Michelangelo, uh, SpongeBob SquarePants, and Helga Pataki. Okay, that sounds a lot better. I mean, finally, Michelangelo is not in seats here, just going into a corner yeah. crying. Uh, according to this, uh, there's a lot of potential for these to become the top tier with a few tweaks and gameplay optimization by players. Danny Phantom has a lot of combo potential, but uh, most of his moves seem a bit slow, for example. Uh, SpongeBob is designed like a glass cannon and with uh, incredible loops and infinites uh, on the opponents, uh, but don't, uh, don't really mince properly. Uh, but it uh, can be easily juggled and knocked out. So basically, the, these characters can uh, do have potential, but they can easily be knocked out too. So I mean, that does make a lot of sense for SpongeBob I mean, I mean, to be a glass. I mean, it kind of makes sense for Helga Pataki because if you remember, she was afraid of getting like getting the uh, you know the uh, you know mucus getting kicked out of her by Big Patty. If you remember, that so, is very true. Yeah. So she's not as strong as I think as uh, I mean we 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 would like her to be in like A or S tier, but I don't see it. So. No, I don't see it either. I mean, it's like the the old saying goes, you know, her bark is worse than her bite. Exactly. Um, a tier, I think, makes a hell of a lot more sense. So, um, Sandy from SpongeBob SquarePants, um, Leonardo from uh, TMNT, Cora, um, April O'Neil, still, and uh, uh, Lucy Loud, um, Invader Zim, Powdered Toastman, and Avatar Ang. Wait, wait, wait. Did you mention Nigel Thornberry? Uh, no, Nigel Thornberry was in the C team. C tier. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay, so, yeah, th that list sounds much better, by the way. Yeah, and in the S tier, still, uh, Cat Dog and Oblina from Our Real Monsters. Holy crap. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> Who would have thought that Cat Dog would be named S tier for a fighting game? Yeah, someone really likes Cat Dog in that development team. I guess so. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Is he hoping that, oh, hey, if I make him really good, maybe he'll get another series? I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, but, uh, so, I mean, like, uh, I, I'm interested to hear from everybody who played Nickelodeon All-Stars Brawl. Again, like, it's going to be a game that we're going to need to get to, but, uh, I mean, I'm interested to see what everybody, you know, thinks of, like, uh, actually, one thing as well, like, uh, is there, like, um, I'm sure there was, like, like, a campaign mode. I would have, I would have thought in the I, game, so, yeah. Oh, I mean, usually when it comes to these, there's always a campaign mode, or there's always a story mode, but... I haven't heard anybody really talking about it. I just heard about, like, hey, here are the characters, and here's, um, you know, them fighting. So I guess we've only seen the fighting portion, yeah. but we haven't seen, like, the other stuff. Also, as well, like, uh, this is only the beginning. Apparently, there's still, like, as you said before, like, there's still other stages and potentially other characters that could be appearing as well. 
So okay, cool, cool. So they will be uh, adding some more stuff in there. They awesome. will be, yeah. I I guess so. So okay. Um. So we're gonna move on to this piece of news, and uh, we have been very big on Save the Owl House. It's been going on for a good couple of months now since uh, you know obviously seasons two began and uh, we were hit, yeah. hit with the news that uh, you know the series was uh, going to be coming to an end very prematurely but uh, you know Dana, Dana Terrace came onto Reddit and uh, I mean I should really have this in front of me really because uh, I do I, should... I have it I have it in front of me okay tell you what well, you, you've got a more feminine voice than I do so maybe you should probably voice Dana <laughs> Terrace in this and uh, you know uh, give everybody the lowdown on basically what's happening behind the scenes over at the Owl House right now Okay, so this was posted officially by Dana Terrace on Reddit. So I'm just going to read off what she wrote. I wasn't planning on making a post because it's too late for a normal season 3 pickup. And the real reason we were let go is not as exciting as some of the wild theories I've seen. But there's a bit too much misinformation and I hope to clear some stuff up. Also posting here instead of Twitter because this thread would be too long and too easy to take out of context. So I'm just going to read it, uh, the first one, as a style of the fans. And then I'll read it off as, like, Dana. <clears throat> Why is the Owl House ending so soon? Why was season three cut? Why was it the LGBT representation? Well, we did have issues airing it in a few countries and are just straight abandoned a few more. I'm not going to assume bad faith against the people I work with in LA. Was it COVID-slash-budget-related restrictions? Every show had to tighten their belts. Budgets were constrained and episodes were cr cut across the board. But we took the biggest bullet and I wasn't given the option of a season 4 when Parks opened again. They just wanted it to be done with the Owl House and this was the perfect chance to do that. Even getting the, the, the Constellation season 3 episodes was difficult apparently. Hard to say, I wasn't allowed to be part of any conversation until I was just told. Wasn't even allowed to present my case. Love the transparency and openness here. Sarcasm. Yeah. So, so I mean, let's just stop there for a second. I mean, like, uh, I mean, right off the bat, I mean, like, uh, it sort of, like, shows that, I mean, regardless of, like, some of the misinformation that might be out there, I mean, like, uh, that's a big giveaway. To be quite honest with you, because like, you know, some of the fans have said that, you know, the uh, executives, you know, or at least like some of the higher ups didn't really like the Owl House to begin with. I mean, that kind of proves them right a little bit. Yeah, mm. and, and we'll get to this in a little bit, by the way. But no, it was, it, I mean, for the people who said, oh, it was the LGBT representation and it was uh, COVID relations. Well, not necessarily so. I mean, there was even one person who responded to it's my not. response. It's, it's not. not. I, I want to also point this out for somebody who actually responded to me on Twitter after I was uh, gave my response to Alex Hirsch, uh, the creator of Gravity Falls and who also voices King and Hootie on the Owl House. But he was saying uh, a, a tweet regarding about like, you know, if I were a Disney executive, I would not cancel a Peabody awarding show that everybody loves. And then I was just saying, I agree. And then somebody on Twitter said to me, oh, it was China who did it. They just are really restricted. And I've gotten like a flood of comments from the people who responded to that person. Well, so. I mean, like, uh, I mean, uh, eventually I'm going to have the Arrow Meta show back. And so I think uh, we'll be covering China, I think, in regards to that a bit more in depth. But uh, I mean... Um, I don't necessarily, I mean, I'm up for being proven wrong, but I don't think it's that either. You know? No, it's not. I don't think it is. But uh, yeah, let's yeah. let's move on. But I mean, just to think back on the LGBTQ representation. Okay, first of all, it can't be that because one, Amphibia also has LGBTQ representation now. Like, yes, uh, and, and uh, apparently, according to the creators of the Ghost and Molly McGee, that show's gonna have it. 
Oh, sorry, you just broke up just then, babe. Oh, did I? I'm sorry. Yeah. I was saying, um, and according to the creators of the Ghost and Molly McGee, they're going to have LGBT, um, LGBTQ representation there as well. Yeah. So, I mean, like, uh, it makes no sense to say, okay, well, we're going to stop this show because it has LGBTQ representation. But, you know, Amphibia and the Ghost and Molly McGee, they can gay it up if they want to. You know, like... Oh, I, I, I don't get it, you know? Yeah, exactly. That makes no sense. All so. right. But let's just move on. So, it was the ratings. That argument doesn't hold water either. Our ratings were good for a Disney Channel show during the Streaming Wars, LMAO, but they were also incomplete. This decision was made, to my knowledge, before Agony of, Agony of a Witch premiered and well before we were on Disney+. Plus. So stop right there. They decided to do this before season one ended. Yeah. It sounds to me like, well, keep in mind, like, uh, there was always these big backstage shenanigans that were going on, like, and also at the very beginning of the show, you know, Disney wanted control of the show before, you know, they allowed Dana to, uh, to kind of take take the reins of it. That's right. Uh, for those who don't know, when the show was first starting, uh, Disney executives wanted this to be a lighter show. And so for the first half of season one, they dictated what kind of episodes that they wanted. It wasn't until Understanding Willow in which she gotten more creative freedom into doing the episodes that she wanted. And then in season two, she has gotten complete control. So, I mean, the fact that we know what the Owl House originally started with, with the fact that Luce was going to die and then she was going to end up in the, you know, in, in the Boiling Isles, which was the equivalent of hell. And then there was also the beta designs, if you remember seeing where the characters are older. So, yeah, I mean, the show went through a ton of changes before it aired on the uh, on the Disney Channel. So the fact that it was even lower to what Dana Terrace wanted and Disney was still upset about it, it's... Oof. Yeah, man. well, I mean, like, let, let, let's be honest. I mean, one. Disney wasn't allowed to like do her own version of like Hell of a Boss or like Has Been Hotel. I mean, oh like, no. It, no, 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 absolutely not. I mean, like, I mean, I agree with Disney on that part. It's like you know, you're still doing a show which Neil still needs to kind of like be of the Disney brand. That that I get, but I mean, like uh, the fact that yeah, the fact that they watered it down as you know as much as they did and uh, were still not happy with the product. I mean, like it makes you wonder how they why they picked it up to begin with. I don't have a clue. Anyway, let's just move on. So, uh, finishing off the quote that she said. Also, how are you going to judge ratings when you don't rerun the show you're trying to measure? Get out of here, you silly billies. So what was it? At the end of the day, there are a few business people who oversee what fits in the Disney brand, and one day, one of those guys decided that the Owl House didn't fit that brand. The story is serialized barely compared to any average anime, LMAO. Our audience skews older, and that just didn't fit this one guy's taste. That's it. Ain't that wild? Really grinds my guts, boils my brains, kicks my shins, all those things. It sucks, but that is what it is. So yeah, if you're wondering, people, the reason why the Owl House was cancelled was because one Disney executive felt it didn't fit the brand. Doesn't that sound familiar? Yes. Yeah, like yes, it, it does. So remember the night when we were on November 2017 and we had the Jungle movie, and despite the fact that we did number three and we kind of beat most of the basketball games that that time, um, someone turned around and said, "Yeah, but you know, you look at your demographics." And the fact that uh, this was more like uh, adult uh, audience was uh, going to be pulling Nickelodeon that night, and the fact that it was not to our six to eleven demographic. I mean, like, uh, yeah, that that's a familiar story. 
Yeah, if you want to know more information about that, go watch the aftermath of Hey Arnold the Jungle movie on YouTube. But uh, anyway, let me just finish this off, and I have something to say regarding about that. Um, in any case, there are still a lot of awesome Owl House episodes left to come out, and all the support is seen and appreciated. Not only does it support the crew, but it encourages studios to take bigger risks on shows coming down the pipeline. And who knows, maybe there's a future for the Owl House world if DTV has different people in charge. For now, we have some exciting specials to go out on. I'll be logging off Reddit for now, so I won't be answering any questions. Just wanted to drop this. Go watch Amphibia Season 3. Bye, Dana. Yeah, and also just in regards to taking risks, I mean, like you can already see it already now. I mean, like we don't want to give any spoilers away, but you know, uh, let's just say that uh, Marcy is um, not having a great time right now. <laughs> oh my god! Nope, not even close. <laughs> yeah, and we haven't even watched Amphibia yet, and we already know about that. No, so, we know that. Yes, but we we don't know the context. To be fair. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but uh, I mean, she's right. I mean, like, uh, the fact that fan pressure is putting this on, and by the way, like, uh, you know, surely they must be paying attention to also other adult animated ca cartoons right now. Like, you know, like, uh, look what, look what's happening with, uh, I mean, with, um, uh, is it, what's it called, I Infinite? Is it Invincible oh, or something? In, in, yeah. No, are you talking about Invincible from in, Amazon Prime? In, yeah, yeah, on Amazon Prime right now. And look at, like, all yeah, the other adult animated yeah. cartoons that are currently coming out right now. Like, you know, uh, the fact that these uh, are pushing subscriptions and the fact that these are pushing ratings, you know, in regards to, like, uh, people ever watching like that, like, you know, surely Disney was paying attention. Yeah, I hope that they are, because otherwise we'll have another Infinity Train situation where, you know, that show was cancelled and um, Owen Dennis had four more stories that he wanted to tell, but it was cancelled because Cartoon Network and HBO Max felt it didn't fit to the child demographic and, you know, it was leaning towards an older audience. The you know, same thing is, is, is happening same, Is this same business guy, like, just floating around, exec you know, around boardrooms, like, uh, across LA and saying, uh, no, that's too uh, orientated towards adults, sorry, bye-bye. And then, you know, he just gets in his car and then drives up to the next building and does the same thing. Social media is, uh, you know, they're not stupid. They know that, uh, you know, they're going to be feeding this back, saying, hey, this is what, uh, you know, the next big cartoon is currently doing right now. And this is what we think, you know, this is what you should be, you know, concentrating on. And so, you know, they know that's going to be a big thing. And by the way, like, um, you know, they're also going to be paying, paying attention to Amphibia, and they're also going to be paying attention to the ghost of Molly McGee. And by the way, like, uh, to say that, oh, hey, you know, well, you know, Disney have got their brand now. They've got Molly McGee, which is like episodic and things like that. Like, there's no guarantee that that itself is not going to turn and go to some dark places as well. Like, it's about a ghost in the afterworld, for crying out loud, who needs to scare people. Like, you know, That's and now, 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 you know, join for life to, um, to Molly McGee, and, you know, goodness knows what, uh, you know, what's going to happen to her if she spends too much time around that ghost. Yeah, it's kind of like a Next Generation uh, Beetlejuice the Animated Series. Exactly. So, like, uh, for all we know, like, uh, this could go to some pretty dark places itself. I mean, like, don't count that out yet. Yeah. So, exactly, like, uh... So I mean, uh, I mean, it's it is sad what we're hearing right now. Like, uh, I'm not gonna get uh, get that wrong, but you know, keep this in mind. Like, uh, there's gonna be a lot of massive praise around the Owl House, and even if we don't get more Owl House content, with the one thing that we should be hoping for. And by the way, you know, in regards to like whatever we may hear about Hey Arnold about season six or whether a re there's gonna be a revival or anything like that, uh, you know, even if we don't get that, the one thing that made me so happy and uh, from hearing about part one is that. Craig 
Greg Barlett is still out there and doing magic. He's doing another Reggie Jet Go movie. You know, he's like, he's doing other projects that he's really passionate about. And the one thing that we could do as Owl House fans, or as like any animation fan for that matter, is that we hope that Dana Terrace, once she's done with the Owl House and once it's all wrapped up, is that she can get herself into another project and she can do what she loves the most. You know, and uh, yeah, and, and she even she even talked about uh, in a podcast that happened around last July that you know as soon as she's done with the Owl House, she has plenty of ideas for other shows. She wants to do a sci-fi series. She wants to do a slice of life show. So yeah, she already has a lot of arrows in her quiver. Brilliant! Like you know, I say one of those comes good, and that's you know she's continuing working and doing the stuff that she's passionate about. That's the best yeah. thing we can hope for. By the way, I mean, just because the Owl House show isn't ending doesn't necessarily mean that's the end of the Owl House as, you know, a Disney property. I mean, like, uh, if, if we still remember, there's still that book that's still being, uh, you know, being asked about as well, which is basically going to be, you know, an Owl House story which isn't part of the show. That's so, very true, yeah. So there's still that to hang on to. And also, you know, likelihood is, is that we're still going to get Owl House references potentially in other shows. And also we're still going to potentially, I mean, there's still the possibility that we may even get a spinoff. Like, you know, uh, so, you know, uh, there might be another character out there who might be, you know, getting the rub. You know, that's... I mean, which character would you like to see a spin-off series? Amity Blight. Mm. I mean, like, Amity Blight yeah. in the human world? Being a, you know, I'm a witch in the human world, what on earth do I do? I mean, actually, that was even, like, as far as I'm aware, that was, like, nearly the, you know, one of the premises of, like, uh, one of the incarnations of what the Owl House was going to be. It was going to be uh, um, Luz being a witch and her being in the human world. So, like, yeah. uh, that, that possibly, that potential might be out there for Amity to, you know, have her own series, like being a witch, like, you know, or living on Earth. And, you know, having to put, you know, having to adjust herself to that. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah you know, like, uh, we've got, you know, there's possibilities out there, people. There really is. Yeah, so. and you know what, and if it doesn't, if it doesn't turn out that, you know, there'll be more Owl House stuff, at least we, you know, didn't say that we didn't try. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but yeah, the, the one thing I want to leave it off is that, uh, as mentioned before with Aaron, that, um, you know, when Hey Arnold, you know, was having the Jungle movie, and then after a while, you know, it didn't happen because not only, you know, did the executive say, oh, you know, we can't lead this over to an older demographic, but also around that time, new management happened. You know, Brian Robbins became the president, and Ramsey Naito became in charge of the animation division, so there was a lot of changes with the management. There was a lot of changes that happened with the management on uh, the Disney Television Animation Studio as well. And as you guys know, Disney Channel is leaving multiple cable providers in multiple countries. And now people are relying on Disney+. Plus. So if all of this changes does happen, and if, you know, Owl House becomes trending on Disney+, Plus, then who's to say that we don't have the remaining spin-off series or whatever on Owl House exclusive on Disney+. Plus? So it's kind of like um, with uh, Adventure Time in which, you know, you had Distant Lands and you have the Fiona and Cake spinoff series exclusively on HBO Max because it was leaning more towards an older audience. So uh, that's, you know, I, I think that there's still a bit of hope, you know, I mean, now we have official merchandise with uh, the Owl House. We have the Hot Topic shirts, and um, there's also, you know, rumors, once again, uh, of the Funko figurines that's going to be coming out next year for the New York Toy Fair. And also, there's the book that's going to be coming out next year. So, you know, keep supporting the official release, and uh, keep watching the show on Disney+, Plus and uh, we'll just see what happens. Well, there is one last debate to be have, 
and okay. uh, this is this thing. So let's say, I mean, it will be condensed. I think we'll definitely be saying that. And by the way, I, I believe that season two B is still being made in the same time that uh, season three is also happening too. I mean, yes. like, uh, what if they actually do manage to like wrap up the show, give you know really great answers to like all the questions that we have around the Owl House, and then basically close the book on that guard, and we leave on a really good note. I mean, okay. like, uh, I mean, would there still be uh, an argument to be made for season four or even like any continuation of the story if they leave on a good well, note? Well, I would probably say maybe they can focus on another character. Like maybe somebody else ends up in the boiling aisles for some reason. Maybe again, going into the infinity train direction, like every season they focus on a different character. Or if Dana Terrace really wants to go back to the beta designs, maybe you can she can be able to tweak the story and maybe Luz can come back to the boiling aisles years later. So who's to say? Well, there's also the possibility of doing uh, prequels. Shit, uh, episodes yeah, like you know like uh, so, so i mean like uh, doing episodes where she's uh, growing up with uh, you know her sister and also with uh, you know also the story about uh, her you know going further into her and uh, you know uh, going into ada and rain as well so that would uh, that would be amazing i would love that uh maybe we can also have you know uh what ifs i mean the marvel what ifs is really really popular on disney plus and so mm. maybe we can have like what if situations yeah like, maybe you know, what maybe if... if it's done like with other shows like you know maybe like they like an amphibia what if and maybe they like a gravity falls what if and maybe they like you know maybe i could see that happening but uh, sure. i don't know like uh, uh i think it'd be pretty It'd be pretty uh, going far, like saying, "Oh, let's do like a bunch of like Owl House what ifs." I'm, I'm not too sure, so we'll see. We'll see. Okay, um, okay. I think we talked that out pretty well. So um, I think I think we did. I think we did. All right. So um, former Disney CEO Bob Eager and uh, Disney executives and current CEO Bob uh, Chapek uh, not. Uh, to not let uh, data influences to no sorry let let me say that again because I completely so basically you got former Disney CEO Bob Eager was one Disney executives and current CEO Bob uh, Chapek not to let data influence creative decisions. So I uh, tell you, I'll let you follow with that first. Um yeah, just give me one second, babe. I'm sorry, uh, my dad's <laughs> on the line. Okay. I'll tell you, while she's doing that, um, here's the thing about this. Uh, so, yeah, definitely, like, you know, the Charts and Graphs the movie is definitely not something that I want to see, you know, in, in, in any way, shape, or form. So, I mean, the fact that they would allow, um, they say, oh, hey, the, well, the chart says and the data says, by the way, there's been a lot of uh, that going on in Hollywood, and uh, really, it's created a lot of crap. Like, look at the Emoji movie for crying out loud. Like, you know, can you anyone say that that's like, you know, a masterpiece of any uh, stretch of the imagination? So, yes, of course. I mean, like, uh, uh, Bob is right about this. Like, you can't just say, oh, well, these are the uh, watching, you know, these are the surveys that we did. And this is everything like that. We should basically garner our thing towards that and we'll make a lot more money doing in that regard. That's not creative. Like, the idea that pe people come over to your product because you've got something different and you've got something that has never been seen before or has not been seen on any other show on any other products that they have uh, played with and they come over to you because you're unique and just going with trends is not a unique concept if anything it is not going to please any well it will please uh, a good size of people but likelihood is it's going to be long forgotten uh, after a very long time 
So um, I'm back, everybody. Yeah, I'm very sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. But you know, the the I don't know if you agree with me, babe. Like uh, the reason people come over to a product is because you're unique, not because you're just following trends and doing what everybody else is doing. Following trends is a terrible idea because what if the trend becomes dated uh, as soon as? Um, it gets greenlit because here's the thing shows take a long time to greenlight unless of course if you're really 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 successful or if you can be able to present it really quickly it's gonna be dated pretty fast like it takes about nine months to a year to produce one episode of a cartoon or it can take over a year or two to produce a movie so if you're gonna rely on trends to do this you can't because then the audience is gonna know wait that was like popular a year ago i mean trends go and come and go really really fast people want to see something that's creative and if they don't know what they want but you're able to give it to them they're, they're gonna demand it i mean steve jobs said it best when he was presenting the iphone the for the first time it's like you know this thing is going to revolutionize everything i mean you know it, you know the best time to present something unique or the best time to present a new idea is for audiences who don't know what they want because that's the thing we don't know what we want and when we see it and we experience it for the first time with fresh new ideas uh, new eyes i'm sorry then we wanted. I mean, it's an amazing concept. And the fact that uh, Bob Iger even stated this, um, I have the, the article that he um, talked about this. And it said, I quote, in a world in business that is awash with data, it is tempting to use data to answer all of our questions, including creative questions. I urge you all not to do that. Because if they would have relied too much on data, they would have never likely had made breakthrough movies such as Coco, Black Panther, or Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to have a look. I'm trying to look on, like, you know what would be very interesting? I would like to have a look at movies that basically were based on research. And based on like oh, trends and stuff like that. so curious about that. Please do so, because... I, I mean, here's the thing, like, I can understand if research can help a little bit. It's like, you know, hey, um, you know, the, you know, kids love superheroes, so let's see if we can present our own version of a superhero. Or, you know, kids love fantasy, let's see if we can be able to make our own fantasy. Because, you know, trends come and go really quickly. They either last for maybe about a year, or maybe a couple of years, or maybe even a decade. So, the fact that Bob Iger is telling Bob Chappick... Please don't do that because, yes, looking at data and looking through numbers may sound good for a business perspective, but, but from a creative perspective, it's not a good idea because if you're going to do that, you're just going to keep it safe and then people will complain. Okay, well, tell you uh, what, I'm, I'm just looking through here now. These are a list of movies that are similar to the Emoji movie. So, uh, oh, no. well, some of the titles might surprise you, and uh, I think they are based on trends. And things like that, and that's the reason why they come to exist. So, um, okay, so I'm going to go through this list. Um, the first one in this list is, oh, by the way, this is not in like any particular order. This isn't like a top ten or anything like that. This is just a bunch of movies that are similar to the Emoji movie. So, or at least have right, the then. same kind of like upbringing, if you will. So, sure. okay, the first one is Trolls 2016, uh, the DreamWorks movie. You and I have watched that for Dream Machine. Um, yes, we did watch that for Dream Machine, and. 
Yeah, I mean, if anything, I thought that Trolls was kind of like, hey, you know, My Little Pony is really popular, and that's based off of a toy line. Let's see if we can do Trolls, and that's based off of a toy line. Little girls love it, so let's have that. So I wouldn't say much of the Emoji movie. I would say that that was kind of like, hey, DreamWorks has uh, their take on My Little Pony, and let's see how they can be able to do it. Okay. Um, the next one is uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2. Uh, that came out before... Wait, did, did, uh, did that come out before after the Emoji movie? I thought that came out before the Emoji movie. No, that's uh, it's 2013, so that came out before the Emoji movie. Okay, so yeah, again, this was kind of like a follow-up to the first Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which was 2009. So, um, it, doesn't ha it didn't exactly have the same premise. I mean, it wasn't exactly like Pickles to Pittsburgh, but it was kind of like a retread of the first movie, except that... Um, you know, they go back yeah. over. To I just think it was like you know the, the 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 memes. I think from like the first movie. I think like was the reason why they came up with Call of Duty: Chance of Meatballs too, basically. So. Oh, uh, I, I I mean, I, it's been a long time since I've seen Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs too. I mean, I was just Same. genuinely disappointed with it. So, I mean, I thought it was going to be like Pickles to Pittsburgh, but no, it just ended up being like a rehash of the first movie. Okay. Um. Number. The next one is uh, Ralph breaks the internet, 2018. Okay, I can probably see that because it was relying more on the internet as opposed to relying on video games like the first movie. It, it was full of the, it was just full of meme fodder, basically. It like was kind of, you know, I, I would say out of all the Disney movies that came out in the 2010s decade, that one was probably the most disappointing to me. Yeah, you know what? Like after coming out of this movie, I, I did uh, one thing I did, admit, which I think could have come out of this is like I'm really surprised they didn't just like pull push the button and like say, hey, let's do just do a Disney princess movie like and just include all of them. And like you know, just have like a highlight for us. I mean, remember we watch we watched this movie, and then we watch Spider Man Enter the Spider Verse at the same day. Yeah, but you know, like I was, I look at Ralph, I look at you know Wreck It Ralph two, and just to say that you know they should do a Disney princess movie. Like that will make a ton of money. Like everyone's favorite Disney princesses, everyone will be you know lining up for that. That was probably my favorite scene in the movie, just seeing the princesses together. So that yeah, yeah I would love that. Okay. Okay, this one's a strange one. Uh, this this next one is up twenty two thousand and nine, but that's a Pixar what? movie. Yeah, but that that wasn't based on any research, as I was aware. So that's kind of strange. Uh, that is very strange. I mean, I, I, to be fair, I don't know what um, the premise of uh, like the original idea of it was. I mean, I'm I mean I'm not a Pete Doctor, so I don't yeah. know. Okay, then um, this other one I've never seen this movie before. Tad the Lost Explorer and the Secret of King Midas. I have never heard of that movie. Never heard of it. Okay. Um, Minions, The Rise of Gru. Oh, jeez. Well, of course, it's, you know, Minions, of course, the, the meme of, like, the, you know, the Despicable Me films, so, yeah. <sighs> I, I, I hate Minions so much. I mean, I don't mind the first Despicable Me movie. Uh, I've never seen two or three, but the fact that Minions came out to be, like, a billion-dollar franchise and, you know, they're making sequels of it, it's just like, oh, man, really? Okay. Just, uh uh, next movie is Hop 2011. Oh, I've heard about this movie. That's the that's the uh, the um, what you call it the Easter Bunny, right? Yeah, wasn't that like a really cheaply made movie? Wasn't it? Yeah, or... something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next one is Puss in Boots 2011. We watched that movie on Dream Machine, remember? Yeah, we did, and uh, we didn't. I didn't enjoy it all that much. Like, it uh... was it was okay. I mean, it wasn't the worst DreamWorks movie that we've seen. I mean, Boss Baby and uh, Shark Tale puts that on the mark. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I the fact that you know the Shrek franchise was done and they were just trying to squeeze one last bit of it right before they moved on to How to Train Your Dragon and Kung Fu Panda. I mean, it wasn't the worst note to go off on. 
Yeah, but uh, you know, I think with Puss in Boots, I mean, I think the only reason he got his movie because he got popular in his own, in like in the sequels. Yes. I think that's, yeah, and that's the reason why he exists. So at least, it, at least it wasn't a donkey movie. Yeah. Okay. Um, the next movie out of this is another surprising one. It's Doug's first movie, nineteen ninety nine. Okay, now I know about the history of this. You guys saw this on my Is Disney's Doug Really That Bad? So originally this was supposed to be a direct-to-video movie, but then a person who was working at Disney at the time, Joe Roth, presented the idea to Michael Eisner, who was the former CEO of Disney around the 90s and 2000s, that they were going to release this theatrically to combat with the Rugrats movie making over $140 million. So it was following a trend pretty much. Uh, so, you know, hey, yes. the Rugrats movie was successful, so hey, maybe our other TV properties might be successful too. Yeah, and they tried to do the same thing with Recess Schools Out and Teachers Pet the movie. Yeah, like, uh, you know what, Um, I actually don't mind Recess Schools Out. No, I love that movie. That's a great movie. I have never seen Teacher's Pet, nor have I ever seen the movie, so I cannot vouch for that. But, yeah, I think that was the last, like, theatrical one based off of their animated series. I mean, they... I mean, I know that what you're going to say, but, but Patricia, what about Phineas and Ferb? And I guess that's true. I mean, I guess Candace Against the Universe, um, it would have probably been released theatrically if it hadn't been for COVID, but... Um, yeah, that's true. I mean, we we did get that, so sure. Yeah. Um, next one is All Hail King Julian. Uh, he's the character from, like, the Madagascar films. Yes, I am familiar with that, and I know that he was really, really popular when the Madagascar series came out. So, Penguins of Madagascar was a series on Nickelodeon that happened around 2008, I think, and it lasted for around 2011. So, King Julian was definitely, like, a highlight for a lot of people, including the Penguins, of course. But they got their own movie, and we talked about that on Dream Machine. Okay. Uh, next one after that is B-Movie, 20, uh, 2007. Yeah, we, we, okay. I, yeah, we, we talked this about movie. this. <laughs> we talked about this movie in Dream Machine. We know what the premise was. So for those who don't know, Jerry Seinfeld, a very well-known comedian, and he did the Seinfeld TV series. And he presented the idea to Steven Spielberg during lunchtime saying, hey, I have an idea for an animated film. It's me as a bee. And they greenlit it. And recently, I don't know if you know this, Aaron, but Jerry Seinfeld publicly apologized for the uncomfortable um, nuances between... Was that, uh, on, was that on Jimmy Fallon? Yes. Yeah, I, I saw that too. Actually, we were going to discuss that like, you know, before we ended up canceling last week's show. So uh, that, that was going to be one of the uh, things. Yeah, so I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, I guess he was right to apologize for that. I guess, like, well, actually, he should have apologized for the entire movie because, like, <laughs> grief. Like, Jeez. it was just, yeah, yeah. So uh, there was no nothing there got me through that movie. Like it was, yeah. just, it was, it was, it was an eyesore to say the yeah, least. Yeah, it, it. Listen to our episode of uh, Dream Machine. I would rather see Nicolas it. Cage just get continuously stung by bees. Like it rather. Didn't you than, use like, that as the intro of? I did actually. <laughs> oh yeah, I did. Oh, good times. Um, <laughs> okay, next one in this list is Stuart Little Two, 2012, 2002. So, okay, so I, guess I, I remember movie. seeing the trailers for this. They they basically based it like on the Spider Man movies, if you remember when they when they first pr promoted this movie. Did you see yeah. this? Yeah. So like they had like the whole Chad Kroger like you know hero thing, and like uh, they had like you know Stuart Little doing like all his action adventure stuff. Like, yeah, you know, so yeah. Um, I discussed about Stuart Little briefly on the E. B. White movie trilogy adaptations podcast that I did with Y-Boy and Nero, but essentially, as you guys know, if you've read the book, so they split the stories in two when it came to the movie. So uh, the entire story of Stuart Little was with him, you know, being adopted by the Little family and then, you know, going through, like, 
you know, well, everyday situations. And then there was also a part of the story where he meets up with a bird named Margo. So they did the first part in one movie, and then they did the second part in the other. And yeah, they did try to do like, oh, you know, here's Stuart Little on a skateboard, and here's Stuart Little doing all these cool stunts, because, you know, I guess it was around when Spider-Man was really popular, so I'm sure. Yeah, okay. And uh, the other ones in this list, I'll just go through them. Uh, Tinkerbell and the Legend of the Never Beast, and uh, then there's also Tom and Jerry and uh, The Wizard of Oz. And, uh, yeah, so that's another, like, one of those, like, you know, uh, crazy mixed movies that they did with Tom and Jerry. And uh, then there's uh, Toy Story That Time Forgot. And, uh, yeah, so... the Toys. Yeah, I remember. The, um, Toy Story That Time Forgot. I think that was, uh, it was, I, I know it was one of the Toy Story shorts. We never got to talk about it in Pix Minis. We will eventually. But I did remember that it was about when, um, you know, Woody and the gang meet up with the, uh, the toys that were really popular in the 80s. And then, you know, they became forgotten. So... Yeah, I guess this was kind of like, hey, you know, uh, the 80s are really popular nowadays in pop culture. Let's see if we can bring it back and, you know, have it reference in fashion and have it reference on um, various uh, pop culture references and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. there you go. But I think we can safely say that the vast majority of movies we've just listed off were not good ideas. Uh, there you go. I mean, that just goes to show you a very important lesson. Just because the data says these things are popular does not mean that you can immediately follow it to a T to make your next product. Yeah, I'm really surprised Up's in that list. Like, uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, why would uh, I? I mean, again, you know, like what was out in 2009 that you know would be like really popular that Up would try to cash in on? I'm not sure. But uh, I mean, I, don't know uh, I think uh, all these other ones, like uh, they, I'm sure they were based on, like you know, uh, you know, oh hey, uh, here's some market research, and oh hey, here's the Rugrats movie doing really well, and oh hey, here's the uh, other movies that are doing very well. Let's do the same thing and let's make some money. Oh wait, there's no money to be made. Oh my bad. Hmm. Yeah. I'm, su I'm surprised that there aren't any, uh, like, knockoffs or ripoffs of movies, like, you know, something from Asylum or something. It's like, hey, you know, uh, War of the Worlds from Steven Spielberg. Let's do our own version of War of the Worlds. And... No, but mind you, like, also, there's all those Video Binguedo ones as well, if you remember. Like, you know, like... Yeah, um... like, I'm surprised that there are no Video Binguedo movies in there. So well, maybe don't they know. don't count. I don't know. So. I have no idea. But, yes, uh, Bob Chappick... Seriously, please do not rely on data to choose your next product for Disney because it, just like what Bob Iger said, you know, if you rely on the data alone, then you will not have, uh, you know, Coco, you would not have Black Panther and you would not have Shang-Chi. I mean, let's take a look at those movies, for example. So Coco is takes place in Mexico. It's about Dia de los Muertas and it features mostly a Mexican cast with a Mexican setting. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, with, um, you know, if they were to go by the numbers, it's like, oh, you know, uh, what are the, what's the, uh, the, the Spanish range of our viewers? It's like, you know, if it was low, then I'm sure that, you know, that would have never happened. What about Black Panther? I mean, Black Panther was hugely successful. And, you know, what if the data said, oh, you know, uh, everybody loves Captain America, everybody loves Iron Man, let's just make more of those movies and not give Black Panther a chance. And same thing with Shang-Chi. It's like, you know, same concept. So... Yeah, I think that people love innovation and people love creativity. So, yeah, I mean, if we were to have every cartoon follow trends, we would have a Yo-Yogi or, uh, you know, something like that, where it's just trying to be oh, like... Good, good. You know, I remember Yo-Yogi. Oh, that was, yeah. that was dreadful. It was yeah. awful. And it was due to the fact that, you know, 
um, it was trying to be hip with the kids. And even, I think it was Hannah, Bar you know, both Bill Hannah and Jill Barbera were not happy with it. They're saying that they ruined the character. So I think that that just goes to show you that if you try to be hip and trendy with the kids, it's going to become kind of dated in a few years and people will just mock and laugh at it. Yeah. So anyway, we've gone way over our hour for uh, the uh, first part of our show. So by the way, right, um, right. if you if you guys are listening to this, uh, we have only got a couple of minutes left until uh, we go into uh, the Hey Arnold live stream. If you're listening to this in the pre-show, so uh, yeah, I hope you're going to enjoy it. It's going to have Craig. It's going to have Jim. It's going to have um, you know even Joe Purdy. Now he's going to be joining us, I believe. Yes. So yeah, it's a very exciting people to come from. Also with the uh, Justin Schenkero and also various other voice actors as well. So yeah, definitely want to check this one out because it's going to be very exciting and uh, we're going to ask him all sorts of questions so absolutely yeah okay um so we're talking about now uh, the ghost of molly mcgee the first five episodes are up in disney plus by the way um getting a lot of excitement i think from disney fans i think so uh, oh, i think uh, they, they definitely have a winner on their hands at the moment so uh but uh, yeah i mean like people i i've been it's kind of funny because i've been seeing fan art and various posts on molly mcgee even before the show came out yeah, I mean, like, it's a great concept. I mean, like, uh, it's about a, a you know a, a girl who has been moving around the country, has uh, had no chance to really have, like, a, a settled life, and had no one to really call a friend, and uh, now all of a sudden, you know, he's uh, she's introduced to Scratch, who then, you know, places a curse on her, but ends up backfiring, and now it ends up being, you know, a situation where, you know, they're constantly stuck with one another. Yeah, so essentially make it like Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy mixed with uh, Beetlejuice the Animated Series in which you have, you know, uh, uh, you have a young character meeting up with somebody from the supernatural world and they go through various adventures together. Yeah, so um, it's uh, right now, I think, uh, let's have a look at the uh, the, the IMDB is uh, not, I don't say it's the be all and end all, but I think it's, it's a good uh, litmus test of like uh, where people are at the moment, so... Uh, I mean, like, in the first few episodes alone, I mean, like, uh, I mean, all ages demographic, 8.5 8 out of 10 right that's now. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good as well. And uh, also, you know, keep this in mind, like, uh, one of the best scores, actually, on this list is actually the 30 to 44-year-old demographic, 9.3 out of 10. Wow, that's crazy, considering that this is clearly for a much younger audience. Yeah, but, you know, like, I think, here's the thing about this, like, uh, you know, what was the one thing that uh, we lacked in the shows that we grew up with in the 80s and the 90s? Oh, man, uh, let's see, like, first of all, proper LGBTQ representation. Representation, like, that's it. Exactly. Yeah, just plain representation. I mean, the, the whole LGBTQ stuff. I mean, first of all, I mean, it, I always make this joke every single time I talk about it. Like, back in the 90s, did you know that in the deep dub of Sailor Moon, they made Sailor Uranus and Sailor Neptune cousins? <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, you know, do you know Mr. Simmons from Hey Arnold was gay this entire time? Like, you know. What? Like, yeah, what? No way. No way. It's like, you know. <laughs> Oh. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you, we did have, like, a few representations on various characters. I mean, like, Captain Planet and the Planeteers, you had characters from all over the world. You know, one was from Africa, one was from Russia, the other one was from India. Um, you know, you had that, and then you also had, um, you know, I guess Hey Arnold, but also, you know, pretty decent with representation as well. But yeah, you're for the most part, like, representation here in today's cartoons is way more vast than we ever got, like, 30 years ago. Like... 
you know, this is the second time that we have I've seen so far that in which a main protagonist is Thai. I have never seen a Thai main protagonist in any of the cartoons I grew up with. Yeah. So I mean, well, the, I guarantee you, we're gonna go all around the world with protagonists now. I think like Absolutely. I think that's just gonna be the thing. So like, uh, I mean, uh, it's just where we go next. In regards to like uh, oh, who's yes, going to be, please. yeah, exactly. So, and uh, mind you, here's the thing about this: like, uh, we, uh, I think we're a bit late to the party at the minute because now they've released like five episodes of the Ghost and, and Molly McGee. So I don't know if we're going to be able to like you know go episode by episode when it's been released. So, but uh, I mean, I think we'll eventually start to get to do that. I think again because we have been talking yes, about it. it. Yeah, I mean, it's all up on Disney Plus right now, and I have the plot synopsis for all the five episodes. So I'm just going to read them off really quickly, and they're very short. Go for it. So. Okay, episode one, uh, both of the episodes are called The Curse and First Day Frights. The Curse is about Molly meeting Scratch, and The First Day Frights is about Molly's first day of school. Episode two, Howling Harriet and The Unnatural. Howling Harriet is about Molly getting a new best friend, and The Unnatural is about Scratch helping Molly's softball team. Episode three, getting the band shell back together and the greatest concert ever. So Molly builds a band shell and Molly puts together a concert. It kind of reminds me of the Phineas and Ferb episode of getting the band back together. Anyway, uh, episode four, Mama's got a hustle and hooray for Mollywood. So uh, Mom gets a job and Molly makes a scary movie. And finally, we have episode five, Not So Honest Abe and the Best of Nintentions. Uh, Molly meets uh, Abraham Lincoln and Grandma Nin visits. So those are your episodes of Molly McGee. And what great names for episodes. Those are wonderful names, by the way. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, not so the best of Nintentions. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. So go check out the Ghost of Molly McGee. I mean, like everyone else is checking it out right now. I have to say, absolutely, so. it's really, really popular. Yeah. But, but, so uh, I mean, like uh, one thing I will say though is that uh, we haven't seen like you know, uh, you know, um, the trend like you know Molly spoilers or anything like that yet. So like, uh, will, will, will we get? I mean, given the fact that it's like it's different, like it's episodic. Like, I mean, not to say that the show isn't like you know continuing through the episodes, but I mean, like as far as I'm aware, Molly McGee is supposed to be like one of those shows where if you miss an episode, it doesn't really matter that much no it doesn't it's kind of it's it's kind of like phineas and ferb in which like you can be able to watch any episode and you'll be able to get the premise of it yeah okay uh moving on um hbo max and warner media has accessed uh launched uh, animated short program spotlighting unrepresenting talent so yes yeah do you want to uh, go on that all right, so basically what they're trying to do in terms of what their next set of animation projects is going to be. So they're going to lean in more towards an older audience, and they want to lean in more towards unrepresented talent. So basically representation, people from other countries, and uh, various others, and they want to be able to give them the opportunity to showcase animated shorts spotlighting these. So... Uh, nothing new in terms of what the shorts are going to be about. I mean, it's still kind of brand new, but the fact that they're even doing this in the first place is pretty remarkable. I mean, like, uh, I'm really surprised it would it be Warner Media. I'm surprised they just said, oh, we're going to bring the Water Cartoon Show back. I can like it. <sighs> I mean, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, that would be a really interesting idea if they brought, like, a new version of What a Cartoon. They'll just have to call Fred Cyber to see if they, you know, they can partner up again, but... Yeah, I think that the fact that they're even thinking about, like, doing something akin to, like, What a Cartoon and Oh Yeah Cartoons by showcasing these shorts and, you know, leaning more towards an adult audience and having unrepresented talent just goes to show you that, hey, you know, there's room to be able to have new people that was never told before. I mean, like, uh, also, uh, do you want to take bets on, like, you know, which one of these is going to end up as, like, new shows on Cartoon Network? Like, uh... Mm. 
You know, it wouldn't surprise me if, like, this is the reason why they're doing this. Like, you know, keep this in mind, like, uh, do you remember when they did the first, like, variation? Like, remember when they did the What a Cartoon show? Like, uh, yes. just, just, the, what, what shows came out of that? Uh, that would be Cow and Chicken, Dexter's Laboratory, Courage the Cowardly Dog, Johnny Bravo, and um, let's see, what was the fifth one? Tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna Powerpuff, bring up Powerpuff, Powerpuff Girls. That's what it was. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up the uh, I'm gonna bring up the list and uh, see. So the yeah, those, those are the, yeah, yeah, those were the five cartoons that came out of. Okay, so I'll give you the list. So uh, Powerpuff Girls got made. Dexter's Laboratory got made. Um, Yucky Ducky, I mean, uh, sorry, uh, Yucky Duck, I mean, same about Yucky Duck, I thought there would be a chance for Yucky Duck, I would have thought. sure that if it would have, um, came out maybe a little bit earlier, possibly, I mean, Pat Ventura was definitely, like, leaning more towards, like, the grossness of Ren and Stimpy on that one, and so, um, if, I'm sure that if they would have, like tweaked it a little bit then maybe but i think that they already got cow and chicken for their gross house yeah i mean like uh johnny bravo got made um let me look at george and jr like uh i remember george jr yeah i I thought they had a chance like i i I mean it's another like one of those like you know uh whatchamacallit um you know uh uh of mice and men clones i will admit that yeah uh, it's based off of an old um looney tunes cartoons from like the 40s. Yeah, so I admit, like, it was it was a bit, you know, formulaic, you know, for, for its own good, but, you know, I still thought it had a chance. You know, like, uh, mm. took, took, some, took some shots, too, because it had Bill, Bill, Bill Clinton in it. <laughs> they had to watch his suit, if you remember. We didn't mention it by name, but that's... That no, 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 no. That, that, that wasn't a George and Jr. cartoon. That was, uh, that was an Elmo and uh, Louie cartoon. Oh, sorry, I'm mixing them up. Okay, then. Yeah, cool. Um, let's have a look. Uh, the Adventures of Captain Buzz Cheaply, which I think went on to be Futurama, I think. I I'm... think, um, was it created by Matt Groening? Uh, no, it was created by, uh, Maynard Hansen, I think. Um, well, Futurama was created by Matt Groening. Okay, well, I think, uh, I think the idea, I think, obviously, was, was passed over, I thought, but, um... Maybe, maybe you're right. It's right. kind of like how, um, Larry and Steve, uh, became Family Guy. Exactly, yeah. So, uh, Fish and Chip, I'm really surprised that didn't get picked up. They made so many shows for that. Like, you they remember. did. They made, short, they made a short fuse, and then also they made the, uh, the clown episode, too. I remember, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's have a look. Uh, they did another George and Junior, too, uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did another Yucky Duck, and, uh, yep. Cow and Chicken got made. I think, uh, yep. we can all agree that was, like, uh, the more... I am co- so surprised, I am so surprised that that was able to get made, because you remember what the pilot episode was? Yeah, no yeah. smoking. Yeah, no smoking. Chicken smoking cigarettes. Exactly. Well, mind you, it was the 90s, like, you know, uh, all, all our characters were, like, smoking cigarettes and doing all sorts of things they shouldn't have been doing at the time. Like, yeah, you can never get away with that today. Yeah, there's many Tom and Jerry cartoons that you probably can't get away with today. That's very true, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, there was a Pop of Girls, also got made. Courage the Cowardly Dog, you know, was another yep. show that became... Also, it's going to have a... Have they released that uh, crossover with Scooby-Doo now? Is that... Yes, so they, they did. They did, yeah. So that keep, that keeps going. Uh, you know, uh, let's have a look at the other ones that they may have made. Um, I don't remember Swamp and Tad all that much. Uh, I don't remember that much either. Yeah, I don't remember that much either. But, uh, you know, like, here's the thing, like, you know, we've just ran through, I think, the first run, uh, the original run of, of What a Cartoon, and it produced, like, so many cartoons that, you know, Cartoon Network dominated with over the next couple, over the next decade. Yeah, they so, did. There, there is an incentive to do these types of shows, because, you know, Cartoon Network can take a look at all these shows and say to Warner Media, hey, we need that. You know, like uh, that's gonna be gonna be what we're gonna do next after Avenger time and after all the other stuff we're gonna do. Yeah, yeah. you know, 
they were really close too. Around 2010, Cartoon Network was going to do the Cartoon Institute, but it was canceled because they felt that oh, you know, um, it, it was proving to be too difficult. So uh, they scrapped the project, but you know, we were able to get um, regular show and Uncle Grandpa from it. So. Yeah, I mean, these kind of shows are needed because you have, um, you know, new creators coming by and showing what they can do. And now these creators are now part of the industry. I know that um, even some people, including myself, said that, you know, the formula is kind of dated to have as a series. But, you know, having it online is a good idea because you can be able to watch whatever short that you want. And you can be able to just, you know, watch your favorites and, you know, see where it goes from there. And even for the ones that never got picked up, you can see, hey, you know, that may have the head potential. I mean, I'm sure that that could have worked out. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I guess I can understand why, you know, the university thing didn't work out because, uh, I mean, uh, what, 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 when, when year was that? Was they 2010. 2010. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, they were still like, you know, they were still, you know, a good lineup at that point. A little bit, so like, uh, and also, mind you, well, what, what do you mean? Uh, it, there was no good lineup around 2010, other than Adventure Time and a regular show. But well, I mean, it, it well, was when was when, when was the time they uh, they started trying to do the live action programming? Like, 2009. That was 2009. So yeah, they were they were. Oh yeah, actually, we'll they were coming off of that, weren't they? So yeah, there was a need yes, the university. Actually, yeah. So sorry about that, but uh, I mean, like, uh, I, yeah, I was about to say, like, I mean, there is a time and a place for. Cartoon Network to like kind of do these type of things, but not like when well, when they perceive themselves like on a high. Like uh, imagine if they tried to like do these types of shows when like you know Hanna Barbera was still hot. Like you know like uh, could you imagine like them saying oh yeah well we need like you know uh, you know even though Hanna Barbera is like you know producing like tons and tons of cartoons for us oh hey we need like you know some place to like showcase more talent like you know it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I mean, even remember, even if you remember that, um, I think it was Joseph Barbera who even produced one of the uh, shorts that eventually aired on What a Cartoon. It was the um, the one with Dino, where he was trying to get the the little saber toothed tiger outside where Fred was playing bowling. So, mm -hmm. you know, they did get they did play a part of it because they wanted to do a Flintstones animated series after the Flintstones kids and Cave Kids, but that didn't turn out well. Yeah. Okay, so we uh, we wish all the best for uh, you know the uh, the animated shorts program that's going to spotlight underrepresented talent. So yeah, absolutely cool. Um, Konami is set to revive uh, Metal Gear, Castlevania, and Silent Hill. Um, I have mixed feelings about all of this. I have mixed feelings about this too, considering that number one for Metal Gear, Kojima is no longer working at Konami. He is doing his own production company. So yeah, and also I think they're on very bitter relations. I think with Konami, at the moment. very bitter, considering that um, you know Kojima does tend to be very overzealous with his ambitions, and he ran Konami on a very high budget. And Konami was like, you know what, we're gonna release the game now because we're just impatient with you, and so. Essentially, Metal Gear Solid Five is not finished, and uh, you can go watch many videos on discussing about that. So, the fact that we're going to have somebody else do Metal Gear is going to be pretty difficult to top. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, what are they going to do? They're going to reboot, reboot the series? Like, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they do. Yeah, because like, uh, didn't they leave it on the fact that you know, uh, you know, Big Boss is now dead, and uh, like, uh, now yeah, that's kind of complicated considering that. In, you know, Metal Gear Solid 5, I mean, he lives until 2008, uh, no, 2000, what was it, like 2009, or no, it was uh, 2014, that's what it was, the year was, yeah. It's 2014 in Metal Gear Solid 4, so he does live for another 30 years, so how does that work? 
Yeah, it's just it's. Uh, I think you know whatever they do with the Metal Gear series, like uh, they, I mean, mind you, there are going to be those fans who are going to complain saying this is not what we originally you know wanted. Oh, like you know the the Metal Gear Solid you know franchise is not going to be anything with Hajima not being in charge of it. Like it's just it's uh, yeah it's it's gonna it's, it's gonna be problematic I think for fans to be sold. Yeah. On. I mean, to be fair, I think Metal Gear Rising Revengeance didn't really have Kojima in that one, but I think that for the over-the-top game that it was by Platinum, I think people did enjoy it. So maybe if they went into like a really over-the-top direction focusing on another character, it could possibly work. I mean, we already did Raiden, we already did Snake, I'm sure that we can focus on somebody else. Yeah, we'll see. But, uh, I mean, uh, Castlevania, like, I've got to be honest, like, I'm not massively invested in Castlevania. Like, uh, it was one that, uh, I mean, I played Castlevania 4 for a little while, but, uh, I mean, which was a good game. But uh, besides that, I can't really say how, like, I've been massively involved in the franchise. I so. am. Okay, and so, your thoughts on it coming back? Okay, so... Um, I know that um, Iga, I know that he is doing his own indie game uh, where, uh, you know, he's taking the elements of Symphony of the Night and doing his own thing. So he's not with Konami anymore. And so depending on which direction they're going to go with Castlevania, are they going to go in the classic direction or are they going to go in the Metroidvania style of direction? Or maybe they're going to go into the experimental direction where they try to do various genres and see what sticks. I mean, they did that with Lords of Shadow and Lords of Shadow 2, where it was kind of like Shadow of the Colossus mixed with God of War mixed with Castlevania. So... I guess it depends if somebody is able to maybe change up Castlevania but stick to its roots, or maybe they just go back to basics. So, uh, I mean, it could be a possibility that they could go back to basics, but again, it's all about execution. And as for Silent Hill, oh man, I can still hear people crying over PT. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, finally, our thoughts on Silent Hill, which again is another game series I'm not really invested in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I've only played, like, the first Silent Hill, but that was briefly. I'm more of a Resident Evil fan. So, I know that people were really upset when PT, which was supposed to be Silent Hills, was cancelled. And, you know, it, it, Kojima was working on it, Guillermo del Toro was working on it, and then it got cancelled. And people are still upset about it to this day. And so, you know, the fact that they want to bring back Silent Hill, and, you know, Silent Hill has had a rough go over the past 10-15 years I mean, a lot of people say that, you know, it hasn't been good since Silent Hill 2. And, you know, people said that, you know, the the psychological horror is not as good as in the later games. And it was, like, leaning too far away from what they loved about it in the first place. And it, it was very apparent when you had, like, the Shattered Memories. No, not Shattered Memories. The, the PSP one that didn't do very well. And then the HD remastered collection was a disaster. And then you have, obviously, PT, which was supposed to be bringing it back. That got canceled. And then, but shortly afterwards, they said, oh, no, 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 no. We are going to bring back um, Silent Hill in a game. And it turned out to be the Pachinko Machine. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So, basically, those are our thoughts on Konami. So, uh, probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'm still kind of upset about Konami, the way that they treat their workers. And the fact that they're able to just push aside these beloved franchises and i get it you know the gaming industry has drastically changed over the past 30 years and you know people are leaning more towards one thing or the other and then their contra game that they released last year was awful but i'm sure that 
you know, maybe something good will come out from it. I mean, they're they've been releasing their um their classic games on like these bundles and you know, they've been selling pretty well. So, you know, I'm hoping that maybe they'll see that hey, people still love these games and they still love this franchise. Do something good with it, not just haphazardly putting it together and trying to make a quick buck. Yeah. We'll save us. So yeah, I mean like uh find you do something new, Konami. Like, you know, like, uh, is, uh, is there nobody, I mean, here's the thing, like, you know, do you, is, is this staff, like, so battered, like, you know, they just don't feel like putting, like, any new ideas together? At the moment, oh, oh, man. I... It's, it's a complicated thing with Konami. I mean, I'm sure that you probably heard about all the stuff from years ago about how Konami treats its employees and all that kind of stuff. Don't, don't listen to me. Go listen to the game journalists out there who, who know about this stuff more than I do. All right. Okay, moving on. Um, New Yorker Comic Con 2021 revealed the trailers for uh, Shenmue, the uh, animation, and uh, Dragon Ball's uh, Super Superhero. Wow. What so. a name. <laughs> Very super, I must say. So uh, It is incredibly super. Yeah, I've got to be honest, I've not seen the trailers yet, so uh, do you want to leave with this one too? Okay, yes. Yeah, so um, you're familiar with Shenmue, right, Aaron? Uh, yeah, Shenmue. Okay, so for those who don't know, Shenmue was a game that came out for the Dreamcast. Uh, it was a character named Ryo Suki, and he's uh, goes over and trying to get more information about the death of his father and wants to get revenge. And so there were two games of it. And then there was a third one that came out just a few years ago thanks to a Kickstarter. So now we're going to have an animated series based off of Shenmue, which I assume is based off of, like, you know, the first game, you know, where Shenmue travels over to, I think it's um, Japan. I think in the second game he goes to China. So he's trying to find out some more information about you know the 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 death of his father and so you have uh rio coming in and he's asking questions and he beats up various people and you know uh you know he interacts with various others so it, it does look very similar to the game so the trailer of it just came out thanks to new york comic-con 2021 so it is a collaboration between Adult Swim and Crunchyroll who are going to be working on this animated series. The uh, There's just a brief trailer of it, so if you're interested in checking that out, uh, please do so. It looks really promising, by the way, for those who are huge fans of the Shenmue games. I know that they're considered to be like a cult classic, but um, I know that more people are getting into it now because uh, the games have been released, I think, on various newer consoles and uh, online websites and also Shenmue 3, which was, at the time, the biggest um, support on Kickstarter ever in terms of, like, um, you know, getting a video game uh, crowdfunded, so... Um, yeah, I think that with, uh, Shenmue the Animation is definitely going to lean more towards a larger audience because then they'll know about it. As for whether the game still holds up, that's really hard to say because, you know, they were released on the Dreamcast back when, you know, the, the particular genre of, like, a guy walking around having to deal with, you know, answer, asking questions to people, doing daily activities. I mean, you have one instance in which he's driving a forklift and you have another instance where he's doing quick time events against people who know about his father's death and all that kind of stuff. I mean, if this sounds familiar to you, they would do spiritual successors with it with the Yakuza series. So if this sounds really familiar to you, it's, it's pretty much that, but it was the first of its kind. So... 
Uh, yeah, if you are interested in checking out the trailer, it is up on YouTube. Now, the next one is Dragon Ball Super Superhero. I know, it is a ridiculous name, just go with it. So, it is the second film on the Dragon Ball Super franchise. So, for those who don't know, Dragon Ball Super is an animated series that came out around, I believe it was 20... 14 or 2015. It is the continuation of Dragon Ball Z, but before Dragon Ball GT. It takes place years after Goku defeated Buu, which was the last arc in Dragon Ball Z, but before the events of Dragon Ball uh, GT, where, you know, Goku, you know, he becomes a kid because Emperor Pilaf made a wish, and then they have to go into space and solve everything. Oh, no. You know, all that kind of stuff. I know people hate Dragon Ball GT, but... Anyway, so Dragon Ball Super was able to revitalize the franchise after it's been dormant for over 20 years. I mean, the only thing that was keeping it going was the video games and a few specials here and there. But um, we gotten not only Dragon Ball Z, um, Resurrection F, and Battle of the Gods, but we also gotten Dragon Ball Super Broly. And Broly was such a major hit that, hey, they decided to make another movie. And so we got... Dragon Ball Super Superhero. So the trailer is out, and it gives us a vague idea on what the plot is. It's going to take place 10 years after Goku defeated Buu. So that was the same amount of time that was around Dragon Ball GT, which is interesting to say the least. But anyway, so yeah, it was definitely around when... Well, no, wait, I'm sorry, not around GT. That was the end of Dragon Ball Z. So it was around with like, you know... um uh, teenage Gohan and Teenage Trunks. This is when Pan is four years old. So it takes place around maybe towards like the tournament arc where Goku meets up with Oob. So we don't really know too much about what the film is. It's a very brief plot. We do get some additional characters and we do see Goku in a brand new design. We get to see Pan, uh, you know, training with her grandfather and we do get to see some additional characters. So uh, no release date as of yet, but I believe it's going to be coming out in Japan next year. Yeah. So I'm really glad that they're leaving the trailers vague because uh, I was speaking with some of my friends actually before, you know, we came on to do this podcast. And uh, do you notice that, you know, trailers now today are like they they give away so much like you know they they i think they've like kind of missed like the idea of what a trailer is supposed to be in regards to like like you know uh it's the fact that they left the trailer vague in this regard i'm pretty glad that they've done that because a lot of japan is japan is really good with that i know exactly but you know but everybody should be good with that like you know why would you give away like your biggest scenes in movies or tv shows in that regard. I have like, no idea. Exactly, I, yeah. I really give, don't. give people a reason to, you know, just, like, you know, just tease them. That's the idea. Like, you know, the idea of, like, the trailer is supposed to be, like, out of context, like, you know, things to tease them with. To say, oh, hey, look what's going to happen here. And, like, you know, you can, uh, you know, do that. Like, do you remember, like, all the, uh, the, the, the uh, some of the, you know, the, the older trailers for, like, you know, uh, the Pixar films? Like, you know, Mr. like, for The Incredibles, for example. Like, you know, like, uh, yeah. the original trailer was, like, you know, just Mr. Incredible trying to, like, put his belt on. Pretty much. That was the teaser trailer, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Like, you know, do stuff like that. Like, you know, like, uh, just to get people teased in for, like, you know, hey, there's going to be this movie coming out. Like, you know, and it looks really cool. You know, like, and, uh, but, you know, don't give away, like, you know, what's going to be in it. Because, you know, why would anyone go see it if you're going to give away the cool stuff already? You know? 
No, maybe maybe there's some maybe there's some executives who think, oh, uh, if we you know let them know what the the movie is going to be about, then they'll surely come in. But you're giving away too much information if you do that. And also, you're releasing multiple trailers. First, you have the teaser trailer, then you have teaser trailer number two, and then you have the f- official trailer, and then you have the final trailer. There's so many trailers. Yeah, it's like it's like you know, and then you have the trailer that's you know attached to the back of the car. <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> The actual trailer. <laughs> the actual trailer, yes. <laughs> oh yeah, so many trailers. That's uh, yeah. So I, I mean, um, but in regards to, uh, I mean, like what we're going to be getting in New York Comic Con. I mean, those those are great teasers, by the way. And by the way, they're going to have to tease a lot of good stuff now because you know, obviously, we're coming in from COVID now, uh, from everything that's going on. And so yes. you know, there, there's still some people feeling a bit edgy about you know, should I turn up to a Comic Con or not? So I think they're going to have to do some pretty juicy stuff to get people through the doors. Oh, absolutely yeah. so, yes. Yeah, so. And here's the thing, you know, it, it just started uh, yesterday. So it's going to end on Sunday, and I'm sure by then, I'm sure we'll talk about this next week, but I'm sure there'll be a load of information that has come out from New York Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Okay, so everyone goes to New York Comic Con, yeah, definitely enjoy yourselves and let us know what's going on. So. Absolutely, yeah. Cool. Right, so a uh, trailer for Disney's newest film, Encanto, is going to be releasing on November 24th. So, um, yeah, so uh, the actual movie's going to be releasing on November 24th. If, yes, um, it yeah. is. So, yeah, so um, we got a new trailer, and uh, it was released quite soon. Uh, mind you, I mean, given the fact that we were, in, we were in Hispanic Heritage Month, are we still in, in Hispanic Heritage Month at the moment? Or are we... Yes, we yeah, are. We are, so, so we're still in that at the moment. So um, that's one of the things I was saying, like, you know, out of all the months that you should be releasing an Encanto trailer, why would you not be releasing it on this one? Well, I guess they've been listening to me because they did release an Encanto trailer. So uh, well, there you go. They, tell you they what, did it. Th- this movie does look pretty epic. I will admit, like, yeah, like, there's so much action involved in this, and there's so much going on in the, uh, in, in that as well, and it's so atmospheric from what we can see. Like, uh, I, I'm, actually, I'm really happy to actually have this trailer because, you know, we've got a really great protagonist who we can all relate with. You know, we've got mm-hmm. a really great story in this as well and, uh, you know, a lot of you know, magic and wonder which Disney are really good at doing. And uh, then we've also got, you know, um, we've got people who look pretty, you know, indestructible at the very beginning, but then we see them as weakness. And then we see that, so, you know, it's the, uh, you know, our uh, pr- protagonist who has to go and save the day. And she's not too sure if she's going to be able to actually do it or not because she's never been called upon to do it before. So, yeah. like, you know, so great to, setup. For those who don't, yeah, great setup. Uh, for those who don't know what the plot is, I guess I could just read it off really quickly. Uh, the Madrigals are an extraordinary family who live in the hidden mountains of Colombia, charmed in a charming place called the Encanto. Uh, the magic of the Encanto has blessed every child in the family with a unique gift, every child except Mirabel. However, she soon discovers that she may be their last hope when she discovers that the magic surrounding the Encanto is in danger. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, uh, this is, uh, I mean, this is Disney, I think, uh, with the volume turned way up. I think uh, yes. we can definitely agree with that. So, yeah, so I guess uh, we look forward to seeing what this movie brings along. So Yeah, and I'm excited about this, too, because you have great people working on it. I mean, you know, By- uh, Byron Howard is one of the directors, and he's known for, um, you know, co-directing Tangled, Zootopia, and um, various other movies, and also uh, Jared Bush is one of the directors as well, and he also helped co-direct and co-wrote Zootopia. You have Lin-Manuel Miranda doing the songs, so, yeah, there's a lot of promise here. Mm, definitely. So... Okay, so uh, I think uh, we'll... I'm not so sure if we're going to be doing anything for Encanto, uh, I think, uh, coming up. I mean, like, uh, if we if we are, we will announce it. 
but uh, I mean, like, yeah, uh, because uh, to be fair, we haven't seen all. I mean, uh, us together, we haven't seen the current Disney movies. I mean, the only one we have seen was Frozen and Frozen Two. Uh, even though that we have seen Wreck It Ralph breaks the internet together, uh, together we haven't seen Tangled, we haven't seen Zootopia, we haven't seen. Well, uh, I've seen Zootopia. I have seen Zootopia as well. Okay, well, maybe we should do, do one on that, maybe. So, like, because, uh, I mean, like, the likelihood is we're ever going to see a Zootopia sequel is going to be quite quite minimal pretty much at this point, I think. I mean, I th it wasn't there an announcement that they were going to do an animated series? Well, there's going to be an animated series, but, uh, I mean, like, uh, but we don't even know if that's going to be based on, you know, um, if that's going to be even based on, like, you know, Hops and, uh, and you know... Uh, oh, uh, Nick and Judy, yeah. Nick and Judy, yeah. So, we don't know. But, That's uh, very true. Yeah. Sure, sure we'll find out soon enough. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, but anyway, Encanto releasing over the twenty fourth. If we get a chance to see it, we'll definitely tell you what we think of it. But uh, until yeah. then, yeah, definitely go out and enjoy it. So. Absolutely, go and go enjoy it. And finally, Universal Studios Japan will be bringing Donkey Kong to Super Nintendo World and Pokemon to the theme parks. And uh, to be honest with you, the fact that we broke the news that uh, Donkey Kong has broken the 65 million unit mark in regards to all the uh, uh, games that it's shipped, I think uh, we can definitely say that it's uh, definitely, you know, Donkey Kong is definitely in his right place right now. So. I mean, yeah, considering that not only 65 million in terms of game sales... But also that Donkey Kong is going to be in the Mario movie with, um, you know, the other cast. Seth of... Rogen is going to be that. Uh, yes, Seth Rogen is going to be Donkey Kong. Yeah. <laughs> Which... I still can't get over that. I know. It's like, it's. I mean, we, we can't get over the casting anyway. Like, and even I say, like, uh, maybe, you know, I we, you know, there's that rumor going around that there's potentially that John Cena might be voicing, voicing Yoshi. Like, uh, you know, that, that keeps keep popping its head up from time to time. Like, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what other voices are going to be are going to be announced for this movie, to say the oh least. Oh, my but. God. This is, this is like, you know, when remember that they did the petition of Danny DeVito being Pikachu when Detective Pikachu was announced that there was going to have a movie? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, who knows what we're going to get at this point. But uh, I so, have but, no idea. But anyway, keeping on with Donkey Kong, because we're trying to keep this positive. But uh, so, um, you know, Donkey Kong originally was the antagonist for Ma for Mario at this point. You know, yes. back when, you know, Pauline was like, you know, the uh, the person who well, you know, was supposed to be rescuing you know, long before Princess Peach. And uh, the idea of him ever becoming a good guy was just not thought, Was you'd never think that would be thought through. You know, at any point, like you know, it was—I uh, mean, it was pretty crazy when you know. But mind you, Mario wasn't really established at this point when he became the bad guy in Donkey Kong Jr. I mean, obviously there's that, but Donkey Kong Jr. at that point was actually the good guy, and even to the point where Donkey Kong Jr. actually pushed out Donkey Kong himself for a place in the Super Mario Kart game. You know, when he came yeah. to the Super Nintendo. So, I mean, like Donkey Kong was the bad guy, and uh, he was not meant to uh, be. Thing. But then in comes Rareware. Uh, to make some, you know, games for, for Nintendo. And, um, you know, one of the games that they ended up making was Donkey Kong Country. And a lot of people thought this was going to be a gamble. Because, you know, you've got a character who has been seen as an antagonist and a guy who, you know, st steals girlfriends and murders their boyfriends. You know, as in, like, you know, the, the Dorkly, you know, <laughs> sure that they did. And, but, you know, um, they introduced uh, Donkey Kong with a fresh new look. You know, uh, Diddy Kong as his, uh, his tag buddy. And uh, they put on a really fun gameplay. They did up all the graphics. They introduced new uh, a creative push and a new technological push for the Super Nintendo, which they thought could potentially never happen. You know, like you know, you know, l layering on graphics. 
you know, and uh, pushing the, um, the the technology, the Nintendo technology to its edge. You know, th- they thought they could never be done, but all they did was like, you know, they packed the cartridge in with uh, more uh, ability for the Super Nintendo to do its thing. And you know, next thing you know, they've got a success on their hands. You know, like there was Donkey Kong Country, there was Donkey Kong Country Two, Donkey Kong Country Three. Like you know, one of the successful uh, trilogies on the Super Nintendo, and uh, it was all through Donkey Kong. And then it kind of felt. I mean, obviously there was there was Diddy Kong Racing after that. Not technically Donkey Kong, but was influenced by Donkey Kong. But then we got Donkey Kong sixty four, and oh boy, like uh, that's when it kind of like it kind of fell through the floor a little bit. But uh, you know, then we went back back to uh, you know when you know Donkey Kong stuck around in the Mario Party games in the Mario Kart games. And everything like that. Then we got to uh, the Wii and Donkey Kong Returns, which was a really successful game on the Wii. No one can really deny that. And, uh, you know, here we are, you know, so many years later, you know, with so many Donkey Kong related games, you know, King of Swing, you know, Donkey Konga, various other things. And he, you know, he cracks the 65 million unit mark. And now here we are with him, uh, you know, uh, alongside Mario in Super Nintendo World. You know, very much well-deserving, I have to say. Absolutely. Heck of a career for this guy. Absolutely. I mean, you have all the games that came out from Rareware. You have the games from Nintendo. You have the games from Retro Studios. I mean, all that combines together for a very successful franchise. And (laughs) And to think that Nintendo wanted to call him Monkey Kong, you know, instead of Donkey Kong. If you recall. Oh yeah, I, the reason the reason why was because Miyamoto thought that the name meant big stupid ape. Yeah, exactly. Well, it was mis it was mispronounced on the phone, apparently. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know, the fact that it was almost close of not even being a franchise because uh, Universal wanted to sue Nintendo because oh they thought that they owned the rights to Donkey Kong and King Kong kind of thing and they didn't want a parody of it. And then John Kirby pointed out, well, um, you listed uh, Donkey uh, King Kong as public domain because it belonged over to Meryl C. Cooper and Ernest Shoshak and they were long dead at the time. And so they lost the case. And- and Nintendo uh, couldn't be able to use Donkey Kong without having any legal problems. And, you know, because of that, we still have this long-running franchise. And there's no relation between King Kong and Donkey Kong. No, there's right. not. There's, there's it was just it was just universal just protecting their stuff because of course they did yeah like yeah i guarantee you some of these lawsuits are just ridiculous they really are like it's just I don't know. yeah I, I don't i don't understand why they do they do stuff like this like it's just for attention i guarantee you yeah yeah. So now that we know that that Donkey Kong is going to be brought into Super Nintendo World, what kind of attractions and rides would you like to see from it? Ooh, I mean, like, well, I mean, Funky Kong's flights—that's one. Oh, that would be so cool. Exactly. I mean, there's that. I mean, like, uh, also, uh, Diddy Kong has had his carts as well. I mean, like, you can have a cart track. Yeah. Do 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 you on carts? I mean, like, uh, there's uh, good grief. Like, uh, you know, Rambi Rambi Rhino. You could do like you know a little ride on him, definitely. And Hmm. uh, you could do like also uh, you could do like maybe a little aquarium, maybe because you know they have those underwater levels in Donkey Kong Country, if you remember. Oh yeah, and also we need to have a minecart ride. Exactly. Oh yeah, and the minecart ride. And uh, well, if you use uh, also, you could do like uh, you know a a, another. um, there was actually a theme park in Donkey Kong Country 2, Diddy Kong Quest. So, like, you know, there's plenty of material they could use in there, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, 
there's so much that they can do. And also, the, like, you know, attractions would be like, hey, you know, here's a stand with bananas in it. And I'm sure that they would have, like, various assortments of, like, banana of different treats. Like a banana, banana split. split. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Like, uh, yeah, the, there's so much potential with the Donkey Kong Country, you know, theme side of the theme park. Oh, I would, I, I, I would, you know, me and Patricia one day are going to go to Japan at some point. I'm sure we will. Oh, but yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's stupidly expensive, but I think we will save up one day and actually go there. And uh, yeah, yeah. And one of the places we're going to go to is Super Nintendo Land. You know, we'll yes. I, and here's the thing. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, well, why don't you just wait until 2025 when they'll bring the stuff over to Florida? It's like... Um, hey, when COVID hits and we, we can be able to travel with no problems, we are going. Well, I don't know. Like, the way Florida's going right now, I think, you know, I think we'll probably have to, like, get some Kevlar and, like, you know, drive around like Mad Max, kind of like, you know, and uh, I think I think that's where Florida's going to be, you know. A part of it's probably going to be underwater, too, because I don't know. There just seems to be this feeling that Florida needs to get worse for some strange reason. I don't oh, know. Oh, jeez. Yeah, like, uh, the epic adventures of Florida, man, are still keep still keep going. If, uh, yeah. So, anyway, so let's talk about Pokemon, shall we? Yeah, so uh, Pokemon's going to also be appearing. I mean, I'm really surprised that, I mean, given the fact that they do so much Pokemon stuff already, I mean, I don't know if it's just the fact that it's like, oh, yeah, we've done all this Pokemon stuff already, so we're not going to bring it, like, right away. So, like, I guess now they're going to start doing it too. So Here's yeah. the thing. Pokemon is the biggest selling franchise in all of Japan. It's unbelievable of how much merchandise, how much video games, how much animated properties, whether it be the movies, whether it be the shorts, whether it be the TV series. It is stupid on how much money Pokemon is made. It's unbelievable. I mean, it makes more money than Dragon Ball Z, which is a huge lucrative franchise. It makes more money than One Piece, which is currently the best-selling manga of all time. It makes more money than even Mario. It's that popular. So the thing, like, what, what, which, what took them so long to actually make the theme park? That's the uh, that's the only oh thing. My. I you know what? I don't know. I have no idea. Well, they're waiting for Ash Ketchum to be... like we we'll actually finally win the Pokemon tournament before they said, "Yo, yeah, here's your theme park." <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, he won it finally in 2018. So it's like, oh wow, thank you, Jesus. Hmm. But yeah, no, no theme park, unfortunately. Yeah, but uh, you know what? I'm happy for, for, for Pokemon too, and like uh, so. Me too. Yeah. I mean, there are so many possibilities for Pokemon attractions and Pokemon rides. Uh, you know, in the theme parks. I mean, Pokemon is stupidly popular still mm. to this day. Well, just I mean, don't you just, have... just don't do a just don't do a ride based on that particular episode, which gave all those kids seizures. I mean, like oh god, no, no, yeah. no, 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 yeah. absolutely uh, not. And also, don't do a beauty contest that stars uh, uh, you know uh, Jesse with you know, inflatable breasts. Like, uh, oh, you mean James? James. <laughs> yeah, James with incredible breasts. <laughs> that episode was banned here in America. It wasn't banned in Japan, and uh, so nope. uh, yep. <laughs> So uh, yeah, let's uh, let's stay clear of like all the stuff that you shouldn't put in a bit of Pokemon Park, shall we? So, oh my god! <laughs> but knowing Japan is like, yeah, it would like uh, that. It would. Meanwhile, in Japan, <laughs> uh. it's like what it's like what Derek Alexander says every time that he hears or he sees a video game uh, that you know J Japanese people would make all these references, and then he would just say, "Stay classy, Japan." Mm-hmm. 
Uh, anyway, but yeah, I'm really happy for Pokemon. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities of what they can be able to do. Uh, they could probably do things such as um, various rides. I mean, I can think of like maybe something involving with like Pikachu or maybe something involving with the other Pokemon. There'll be a lot of shows. I mean, remember the Pokemon Broadway show that happened a few year, uh, many years ago? Oh, yeah, like I guarantee you like, I mean, keep in mind like, you know, the um, J-pop, you know, they, they produce all these people, don't they? Like, you know, so yes, like, do, uh, yeah. yeah, so like, it wouldn't surprise me, like, even at petrol stations, they seem to have, like, these girls that seem to, like, you know, put on a performance for you while filling up your, you know, filling up your car. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like, everything seems to be, like, performance art at this point. So, like, eh. it, it wouldn't surprise me, like, you know, you have, you know, be, you know, you know, people dancing around on the stage, you know, there's uh, Pokemon characters, like, you know, doing their thing. Hey, they even do, like, yeah. you know, the, whatchamacallit, the, uh, the Pikachu, like, tr you know, like, uh, uh, queue or train or whatever they do. You seen those like oh, yeah. music? Yeah, they do those things. So like, yeah, I, I've seen those before. Exactly. Yeah. So like, uh, it, you, you know, like uh, the, the the you know the sky's the limit in regards to the imagination they could put into a Pokemon theme park. I mean, I I can think of one ride that would be an instant hit: a haunted mansion based off of Lavender Town. Mm, that would work. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it. I mean, everybody talks about like, oh, you know, Lavender Town is the scariest, uh, you know, level in all of the uh, original Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow. And, uh, you know, here is, um, you know, uh, a place where the Pokemon are buried and died. And, you know, here's the ghost of Marowak. And the only way you can be able to see it is the Silp Scope. So, hey, let's have a haunted attraction, kind of like a haunted mansion in Disney World. And, you know, you get to put on like these special glasses so you can be able to see the ghost that is haunting the place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like uh, we've got some really great stuff coming up for Super Nintendo World. So uh, yeah, so happy for all the Japanese people who are going to be able to uh, go around and actually see it. So it's all good. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. Okay, everybody. Well, uh, if you're currently tuning into the pre-show, we are going to be slowly going into the live stream for the Hey Arnold uh, 25th Anniversary Show Part 2. So uh, you're going to be uh, treated to Craig Barlow, to Joe Purdy, to Jim Lang, who uh, did the uh, uh, songs of the show. And uh, you're going to be treated to various other people who also uh, wrote a uh, start in the show, too. So uh, yes. I hope you all look forward to that. But if you're listening on the podcast, we will see you next week. And uh, we'll let you know if we are going to stop picking up Molly McGee and uh, any other stuff that we're going to watch. So, so cool. All right, guys. Take care, everybody. Have a good week and see you later. And if you're joining in for the Hey Arnold anniversary show, uh, just stick around and we will see you in a few minutes. All right. Take care, everyone.